This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today is my friend, Bert Soren. Bert is the president and co-owner of Sorenex. That is the world's tier one strength and conditioning equipment company. And uh, above that, he is just an awesome human being with a great story. So now, without further ado, Bert Soren. You have the podcast. You have the, the Be Legendary. Yeah, is that, yeah? I, yeah, I do. I just haven't, I haven't done them a whole lot. And usually we don't set up all the cool stuff like we set up today. I wanted to make sure it was oh, man. was good. So, so um, awesome. And look in the background there. I got a hat in the background oh, there. Oh, you saw the you Easter egg. The coins. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, and you got your, look at, what do you have in the background there? Where'd you get that? Where'd you get that deer? Um, I shot that one in Missouri with my bow a few years ago. Um, wow. It was one of those crazy, like weird deer of 10 lifetimes kind of stories. It was pretty cool. Nice. It was just went out. I've hunted this place for years and years and I hadn't seen any deer. I was, I saw some deer over in this field. I said, let me go sit up there. I had an eight foot tall, um, rifle stand. It was on like 150 yards off the edge of the field. I was like, I'm just going to use an observation platform, sit up there with my bow and doze fed right under me. And I shot him at 45 yards and, uh, wow. he scored almost 190. Um, yeah, off a hundred acre piece of property, <laughs> it wow. was just 24 points. It was just this weird, like, you've got to be kidding yeah. me. Just never uh, know. So it's one of those things that just makes you go, okay, well, like it could happen at any time. Right. It's, Amazing. And I thought I missed him and he yeah. so I shot and he went running off and I could see my arrow and I'm like, oh crap, I missed. And I kind of did that snort wheeze that, <laughs> that all right, started grunting with my mouth and he stopped at like 120, 130 yards. So I was like, okay, cool. I've, I've missed, but like I've kept him around. He didn't know where where the sound of the arrow came from. And he just stood there motionless for probably 20, 25 minutes in this tall CRP. And I'm watching, I'm shaking, like, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just missed a deer of 10 lifetimes. Like I shouldn't have shot, but you know, you start working through all these things yeah, in yeah. your head. And then he just walks forward and hunches over and just falls over no and i'm way. like oh my gosh i hit this deer and no uh, i guess when i way. stopped him he started bleeding internally and he just stood there and just fell over no and uh way. yeah so i i was sitting there you know the whole time just telling myself i'm an idiot for shooting and i suck and i'm horrible and <laughs> you know and then uh, I, I backed out and came back three hours later and found him and it was by far the biggest deer i've ever seen probably on a magazine cover much less kill with a bow so it's fun nice <laughs> nice yeah. so it's a well, reminder of like hey some, sometimes things happen when you spend a gazillion hours in the woods yeah that's incredible yeah, yeah. wow that's beautiful yeah. and are Thanks. you in your uh, are you in your man cave now or are you in a different no, spot no i'm actually in the office <laughs> okay you're my, in the office this is my office at work yeah okay so okay. yeah the man, the man cave is pretty spectacular that thing's amazing it is. Yeah. We got to have you come out sometime. I know, love it. Yeah. yeah. It's uh the new one is, is, is definitely set. It's good. It's my favorite place on earth. Uh, well, when we build our barn over here, um, this place is zoned for a barn. So it's probably a couple, couple years out though, with everything, everybody's so busy around here building and sure. we're so busy and everything, but, um, I'm looking at yours as like, okay, all right. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you, you know. some, uh, some little things that I, that I, we did that were intentional that might help out. Cool. Uh, 
for some of the stuff coming up. Man, I can't wait to see the new spot. I, mean, I know. Last I, spot I thought you were going to awesome. be here. Yeah, the last one was pretty good, but we were kind of, you know, they packed in there, mm-hmm. kind of close to town. Now we're a lot farther away. Like okay. we're as far away as you can you can get higher up. Uh, really, you can't really see neighbors, that sort of a thing. Have a little, little very, land. Very so James Reese. good. I like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a, there's a, yeah, you'll see. It's, it's a tactically advantageous position. You will see when you come out here. Good, good. So, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the same. People, my, some of my buddies were over the other day. They're like, oh, interesting. Your, your driveway is a straight shot. And I'm like, yeah, it's about 300 yards exactly in the top window. <laughs> and, yeah, there you and go. there's water on 270 degrees around you. I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> nice, yep. nice. Get some little tells out there, some little wind, you know, little, yeah, little things hanging. Yeah, like, all right, exactly. wind. Like, okay, all right, right to left, hold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We got, Perfect. we got, uh, we got uh, evacuation routes by water. We have nice. water. We got food. Amazing. Uh, so yeah, I you kind of got to set it up right. And is, <sighs> are you going to be at your spot for a long time? I think so. I think this is, uh, yeah, this is, the we'll spot. be here for a while. Yeah. And I thought you were going to be here next week, but then I am. The, we have a studio, but I mean, here, yeah. because we thought the podcast studio, actual studio is going to be done. This is a area in the house that's going to turn into the library. Um, sure. But uh, the actual podcast studio was supposed to be done, well, months ago. And then it was supposed to be done okay, next week, next week, next week. You know how that goes. I, and uh, yeah. So, it's not done. So <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah. I was like, I was hoping, I thought we were maybe going to be able to get in before attack, but I know you're oh, so ridiculously awesome. busy. That's I can't insane. imagine what it's, uh, I, I want to ask you all these questions. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> been busy, man. It's oh, been super gosh. busy, but, uh, no, I feel very fortunate, but yeah, I thought you're going to be able to, to be up here. And then we do yeah. it in the podcast studio, hang out, uh, have some steaks again, shoot yeah. the boat. Cause I'm going to set up my own little tack out here. Uh, I need some more targets. So I have four out there right now. I just need to get a, need to get a bunch more. Just need some yeah time to put them out there. <laughs> when we were at your place last time cooking out, we had, was it, it was deer walking around below you, but maybe moose. Am I moose. right saying there were some yep. moose? Yeah. Moose. Yes. That was a big moose, but we have moose here too. Uh, where we were last time, didn't have elk for whatever reason. They just didn't use that, that draw. Um, yeah. but they're everywhere. They're everywhere else, but oh. moose loved it in there. Uh, mule deer loved it in there. Uh, so we had, we had bobcats, bunch of other, bunch of other things, but Jeez. out here where we are now, moose and elk, and elk were just, I mean, they were bugling last night. I mean, I, yeah, crazy right off the deck. Yeah. My wife and I were like, it's a little early. And there were, I mean, a stone. So if you threw a football from our deck, I mean, we couldn't see them because it's really wooded in there, but they were right in there. And so I just took a little video just so I could hear it. And uh, yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, So they're in there. No, we're still, you know, yeah, and I can't hunt them here, but yeah. um, yeah. Uh, but there's wild turkey. I mean, tons of turkey here. Uh, yeah, moose are still in here. Mule deer are still in here. Um, I know there's mountain lions around here. And then a friend sent me a picture. So I'd see, see you know, at the trailheads they have, yeah. they're always like danger mountain lion, you know, and mm-hmm. they put all this stuff up there and then they put a bear, they put black bear on this thing. And I'm like, are there really black bear around here? And sure enough, at the house that you were at last time, a friend, a neighbor sent a picture and right there in a uh, driveway, just like ours, you know, those, they're all pretty similar. Those, yep. those houses, uh, was right there. So it looks like it's our place, but it's not, but it, a bear right there, just right in, by the front door. I was like, no, no way. way. They took a video and it just kind of sniffs around and then just kind of moves his way down kind of below and back off into the woods. <laughs> but I was like, no kidding. I did not know that they were around park city. I mean, people have said it, but it's always like a friend of a friend saw one, right? You know, it's guy. always a friend of a friend. So I haven't seen like an actual <laughs> friend that, that took a picture of one that says, here it is yeah. now recently. You're like, I heard from a friend back in 1978, there was one here, you know, right, that, right. That's what the stories are usually like, but no, they're here. 
The friend of a friend is like similar to the guy whose buddy was like super fast in high school. Oh yeah. You know, it's always like, no, my buddy was like a four, two. And I'm like, right. Four two is really fast. (laughs) I don't think that many guys were like, yeah, you can't. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like the downrange, you know, getting Intel, um, you know, it can't be from a friend of a friend heard and then you act on it. You know, you might need to uh, corroborate that a little bit with some other uh, human Intel sources, maybe some technical intelligence. You might not want to launch a war on that, though. We've been known to do that. Um, Weird. Uh, been, yeah, we'll leave that there. Maybe yeah, exactly. Should, we, should write a lot, lots unpacking that one, but uh, yeah, we have been known to <laughs> launch wars off friend of a friend. You know. <laughs> so someone should write a semi-fictional book series. <laughs> no one would believe it. No one would believe <laughs> no, it. No one would believe it. Crazy, oh crazy. Oh man! But man, I want to talk to you about uh, like your dad first, like growing yeah. up, because that's where all this starts. I love his story, and I'm just curious about how much of that work ethic and uh, you know, that, that drive and that, that creativity and that entrepreneurial spirit, like he passed on to you by, um, by talking about things or did you just observe it? And I know he was what working in like a shop class and teaching like physical education and gym stuff. Yeah. And then he starts making this gym equipment. And, uh, and I love this and on the website, I love the story. So people should go to sorenext.com, check out the story, <laughs> you know, on there. It's so awesome, but uh, there's a land cruiser in it. You know, you're not a land cruiser and it's an FJ 40, right? It is in 1974. I was actually brought home from the hospital uh, when I was born on the floorboard of that land cruiser. No way. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. That's what I learned how to drive stick on. Oh man, we got to have you out then. I have a 1978 (laughs) outside and it's just, uh, it's all rebuilt and everything. It doesn't have the LS3 or anything in it, but it's, uh, it has the, it's the, it's the regular engine. So when you're driving that thing, I mean, you don't want to drive it too far. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you're not going to get there quick, uh, but it's awesome. We used to talk about Armstrong steering, like your arms better be strong. You know, it's just like you kind of redirected every once in a while. Yeah, exactly. I always remember as a kid that the, the gear shifter would just shake. It shakes. Yeah. It, it shakes. And the four wheel drive and... thing shakes. I'm trying to figure out, I got to take yeah. it in and see if somebody can like tighten something or do something. So it doesn't just vibrate when you go over like and they just whine when you're driving. Yeah. It's so great. I love it. Yeah. It's fun. It's oh. like the Sunday driver, you know, it's like, yeah. I did take it out, you know, did take it off road and did test it out when I, when I first got it. And it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome, but rattles um, like crazy. It does rattle. Yeah. But. Yeah. The old cruiser, <laughs> we used to talk. I mean, it just, it knew when it was going hunting, like it just kind of one of those always started up always just, you could hear it. Just love it. Probably nice. because it was like, you know, cool air on a, on a October day and generally internal combustion engines like that. But nice. it was always, that was the, that thing had its own soul. My dad had it for 22, 23 years, something like yeah. that. And unfortunately, he had to sell it. And I actually tried to track it down about yeah. a year or two ago to who he sold it to. And because I wanted to buy it back and re- redo it. And yeah. I guess the guy had sold it. Oh, man, there's got to be a way to track it down. There's got to be a way to keep finding it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I give the but it's got to become someone's full-time job. You like have to hire someone like to make that their full-time job. Yeah, and I know? doubt it's going to be um, re-procured for what we sold it for. Oh, no, uh, it's gone up a little bit. <laughs> the funniest part, Pops bought it for $4,400 new uh, wow. off the lot. And wow. uh, he sold it for $4,500, $100 more 22 years later. He's like, man, Amazing. I did good. Yeah, exactly. I made 100 bucks. <laughs> you know, 100 bucks in 22 years. I'm like, it's so great. If you held on to yeah. it 22 more years after that, then you could. It would have been set. Yeah. It would have been set. I mean, you're not going to retire awesome. on it, but, you know, it's still still pretty fun, you know. But yeah. don't sell them. You know, people, yeah, don't, don't sell your land oh, cruisers. That I car when you're like, them. man. 
should I really be selling this thing? If there's a question, there is no question. Don't sell it. Hold on to it. Just put it somewhere, storage, whatever. Why you don't sell guns and cool knives exactly. either. Exactly. Never sell knives, never sell guns. Yeah. It's like, what am I not going to need to cut something at some point? Yes. You know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Always need another. And uh, yeah, never sell any ones you have. You'll regret it. Anyway, yeah. you got to get taken home from the hospital on the floor of on the, the floor Land Cruiser, of the FJ-40. Yeah. What color yep. was it? It was that baby blue. Okay. Had a black interior, white uh, top, and yeah. then we, we pulled that off. And and uh, Dad built the brush guard on the front of it back in the old old days, kind of nice. before that was commercially available. Mm. Uh, he had a set of thirty threes on it, oh, um, which were pretty overly large back then. Mm -hmm. I think he might even had to cut the wheel wells out of it. Yeah, maybe. And the first week he had it, he took like an, a military industrial like undercoating they do tanks with and he laid on his back and undercoated the whole bottom of it. Nice. So it never rusted out. It never, I mean, it was it was pretty indestructible back in the day. Oh, man. It was cool. He was definitely ahead of his time on a lot of stuff. Like yeah, there wasn't and, a lot of people in the early 70s doing that stuff. Yeah. And quite handy. I mean, he's make, starts making this, yeah, he starts making this equipment. Like when does he go full time from doing, from teaching and, and uh, yeah. gym and all that stuff to, to going for, and he was, was he competitive before that? And yeah, so he was a track and field athlete in college, 68, came down to South Carolina, discus thrower, competed till 72, became a teacher, bought the Land Cruiser in 74. And then when he was teaching and then he would get off work. Um, take the Land Cruiser downtown. We'd go down to Owen Steel, strap pieces of steel to the top, drive back home. He would start building stuff in the garage. And then after that, he would lift weights that night until, you know, so it was just, just grind. And then he started figuring out if he does, he would sell off for $5 a week. He would do the other teachers, their bus duty before or after work. So he'd make an extra 10 bucks a day. If he would, wow. he would just like, and back then 10 bucks was actually yeah. would help. Right. And so he would do that. Then he started a jogging club after school for the kids and a weightlifting club. And so he was wow. just basically always just working. Amazing. And, um, so that just work ethic and just go, go, go. And then he, uh, started soaring playgrounds. So we built playgrounds, uh, and he would use natural materials. He would, um, if the schools didn't have money, which is where he coached, he took these, they had a lot where a bunch of trees, <clears throat> And he went out there with chainsaws and cut up all the, the trees, but left enough of the stumps and literally built the playground equipment into the stumps and used the trees so they didn't have to buy necessarily as many resources and material. And then he, this is really wild to think this worked in the 70s. Then he taught his PE classes how to do woodworking, fifth graders, yeah. and they built the, the playground equipment. <laughs> like, so then the whole, he got the whole school involved and That's saved the school money, but then he taught kids how to be resourceful and how to be capable. Yeah. And one of the cool stories, he said there, there was this field, it was full of rocks because they just grabbed this, you know, they said, school said, yeah, you could use this field for the new playground, but there's rocks everywhere. And the kids are throwing rocks. And of course they end up throwing rocks at each other during recess and kids are getting hit. So like, we got to pay someone to come out here and pick up the rocks. So Pops took a bunch of old tires, painted orange, hung them in the trees in front of the woods and put cowbells in the middle. I mean, he goes, just leave them there. So all the kids, of course, would make a game of it immediately and start throwing rocks at the cowbell, see who could ding the cowbell. And he goes, in a year, we cleaned out the entire field because everyone threw the rocks, missed the bell and threw them in the woods. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. And now the kids, he was like, hey, we're building hand-eye coordination. Everything's good. And then we're also making a safer playground. So he was always just really resourceful and like yeah. came up with cool divergent thinking yeah. of how to solve problems. And that, that I think is one of the coolest things he passed down. That, that is 
Yeah. That's uh, that's one of those things I'm trying to do with my kids. And Pops always said, look at something for what it is, for not of what it is, but what it can be. And it was just, what is the potential of every possible person, resource, knife, gun, situation? Like, don't look at it for what it looks like. It, like, how many divergent angles can you hit this and, and make it a resource? Wow. That's amazing. They would say that and then live it. At the same yeah, time, you lived it, and then, it was wild. Gosh, yeah, and then still create, does. Yeah, oh, amazing. I yeah. love that. Love that that story. And then, and then, when does he turn it into an actual? And, it, and it's not Sorenex at first, right? It's uh, Soren right. exercise equipment. Yeah, Soren um, exercise equipment. Good. He's, yeah. And so he starts so that it was like in that. 1980. 1980. He started. Okay. Uh, so we did playgrounds, and then we did Soren exercise equipment. And uh, actually funny, a girl that he was dating at the time was like, you need to, you, you have to do, you can't teach and run two businesses. You have to do, you know, you have to let one thing go. And I was like, what'd you let go? He goes, oh, well, I broke up with her. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, yeah, she was right, but I didn't uh, want to admit it. Uh, so he hilarious. said later, he, he stopped teaching after eight years and then did um, Soren Playground, Soren Equipment. And then a couple of years later said, we're just going to go full boat into the, the weightlifting side because that was really his love. You know, Amazing. that was, he's always been into lifting and always yeah. knew that he could come up with something that would really help. And that's great. So in the late eighties, like today you think of things when starting a business totally differently, you think of it, you know, in terms of, okay, outreach. Okay. How do I let people know we're there? Okay. <laughs> we have platforms. Okay. What do we have? We have websites, we have social media. I can collaborate with people that I've never met before because I can reach out to them because we can kind of sense if we're on the, the same mm -hmm. page and it might work. And there are ways to reach out to people like, 1988, like, how are you even going to, I mean, you're going to call a well, local gym. This was like gym 82 at, at 82. Yeah. And so how, yeah. like, how are you building a, uh, a thinking about building this type of a business uh, back then? Like, are you thinking local first or do you yes. have friends around the country or like, how does that, how does that work? Oh, here's a great question. Yeah, it was, it was local churches, local rec centers, high schools, middle schools. It was just people that he knew in the community and they go, well, uh, we want a bench. And he goes, I can make a bench that's stronger than what's out there, more adjustable or safer or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, so he was just always, always pushing that side of it, which was So he's awesome. doing, so he's reaching out local first. And then how local. does it begin to build? Like, do people start hearing about these things like colleges or other high schools right. or how does that, uh, professional sports teams or how does that work? Uh, as he starts yeah. to build this. Oh, well, he was, he was tied into the lifting community. So mm -hmm. one of the first strength coaches uh, that was at South Carolina, University of South Carolina, was one of his good lifting buddies. So they started, I mean, again, early 80s, there was not a lot of collegiate strength conditioning. That, that wasn't a big thing for mm -hmm. sports teams. It was still really early. So we started doing it there. And then um, we had a couple of the other ones in the SEC, Kentucky and Tennessee and some schools like that, mid-80s. That literally, one of them, he had to sell his house to fund the materials for. And so I look back and I go, gosh, he gambled at times <laughs> with some things that you're just like, he goes, I just, I just knew it had to work. Like we yeah. had to do this. This, this was our chance to get into the big times to do the weightlifting facility at University of Kentucky or a few years later, University of Tennessee. He's like, wow. you know, I, I used all my favors all my buddies locally to help me, like everything that had to happen. I maxed out credit cards, sold my house. Like this had to work. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a true American success story, yeah. but you know, we laugh, you know, it, it took a long time to get to the point where 
Like right. it was where you could call it a success story. And I yes. still don't know if you can, but yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's uh, yes, yeah, the, the overnight success when people see your stuff all over, like, you know, Olympic gyms and all these sports teams that are in the Super Bowl right. and all this stuff. Like, yeah, that, that wasn't like it was, that was in 1982, 83, 84, 85, 86, not quite yet. Right. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, the Chicago Bulls in the nineties when Jordan was there, but like, again, there was no social media. There was no, like, so you don't know, yeah. like we, we were, we were at those places, but there was no really way to show that. And we surely didn't have the money to pay them to allow us to like put this marketing stuff out. We're like, Hey man, it's cool. Uh, yeah. Best guys in the world training our stuff. Awesome. Move on. Right. Um, oh man, that's, I mean, but I mean, your guys are everywhere now. I mean, it's amazing. It's what you guys have been, built and all of that, you know, putting that sweat equity in. And I love that story. Those American success stories, you know, no one handed you anything, you know, you guys built it, you know, from the ground up, look at all those risks that your dad took with a family. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. I mean, I, I think wouldn't it's suggest it. Yeah. We were laughing one time. It's like, it's kind of like having one foot in the grave and another one on a roller skate. Oh, you know, man. you don't really know if you're going to slip and fall uh, in the grave or you're going to fly out of it. And it's yeah. like, but that's part of the fun of life. Like, let's, yeah. let's, let's do it. Let's go on the one go around we have. And yeah, you only get one shot. See what so, happens. And, you know, you take you those know, risks put, and, you know, put you a bunch get, of effort down and yeah. hopefully everyone else will get tired of putting that much effort down. And man, you'll geez. be around. <laughs> and so growing up, is your dad articulating these things to you or are you just observing it? Are you just, and now are you thinking back like, oh, wow, look at, I remember you know, 1989 when he did this or 1992 when he did right. this, or is he sitting you guys down or is he taking you guys out hunting and like talking to you and saying, uh, you know, Hey, you know, passing on those lessons like that, or is he just a, you know, stoic like example? Um, there was both there were, there was, you know, you would, you'd see the stress, you'd see that and you'd catch little bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. Like he'd come home like, Hey, we got, you know, Reno. And I'm like, I don't know what that means when I'm a little kid. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, but he seems extremely excited. And then I don't see him for a long time. Yeah. And then he's, you know, comes off the road and, you know, just kind of that long stuff. And he actually was really cool. A couple of times he wrote letters um, to me, like that he didn't give me till later in life yeah. that he was writing as his thoughts. Like, you know, he was like, I did, you know, I think he drove like 2000 miles in a couple of days, making stops all around the country, just like kind of wondering, like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is yeah. this, you know, am I, I'm away from my family and my dude, Am I doing all these things? And does my son really know what this is? Is he right. ever going to know what this means to me and to means to our future? Yeah. And, and it's pretty cool. I have like a, a, a security box of some of my most prized things. And that's that letter, you know, I'm oh, maybe wow. 10 years old mm -hmm. and it's a little bit kind of like, uh, was it, was it Rudyard Kipling's if mm -hmm. oh, yeah. it was kind of like the if, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and that was similar to that, you know, and I was, I, I look back now with 45 year old eyes mm -hmm. I'm like, man, there was always a plan there and always at least a, a general direction. And we would have a lot of conversations. And that was a big part of getting to go hunting together and talking while on back and forth on the hunting trips and about things that were occurring and, you know, getting to, to be around the strongest people in the world. And I, I got an affinity and a, and a understanding of that and held that to a high prowess and a, and a high value. Um, and so kind of much like that's why I like your writing so much. It ties back to the classics or ties back to the extraordinary feats. And my dad is very similar in a way that he celebrates, he honors the strong and honors the, those that have had courage. And so I remember as a little kid, he telling me Greek mythology, you wow. know, I'm six, seven years old. And I would just, you know, I, I thought the Minotaur story was like the coolest, uh. you know, and I would just hear these grand stories of, 
of her heroism. And yeah. that was just, you know, it's actually kind of crazy. So I know you and I both share uh, a love for like the Rambo. Oh yes. And, yes. And uh, I remember my dad taking me to Rambo first blood part two. So do I. <clears throat> yeah. Right. In the theater, yeah. we left the theater and he took me and I bought my, I got my first bow that day. Nice. He took me, he took me to Jeffrey Archer. I was eight years old. He took nice. me there to the bow store. I still shop at and get my bow no done kidding. downtown. It's probably three miles from where I hunt is no the bow way. shop. Still the That's same guys. Awesome. And I was able to tell Sylvester Stallone that story. No way. I was at Gunner's gym and Sly was training and we got talking and we were talking and he was telling me, this is just so wild, such a weird life, right? So Sly was telling me when he was a kid uh, watching Steve Reeves and, uh -huh. and uh, Un Hercules Unchained. And wow. he said, you know, I was in the matinee and I saw this pose where he's, you know, and all this stuff. And he was like living this, he was like his muscles and his his courage and all these things. He goes, and it changed my life. He goes, I literally yeah. left the, I left this, the, the movie and I went to a junkyard and I started picking up axles and stuff. And he goes, I wanted to be strong. He was nine years old. That's and I got awesome. to tell Sylvester Stallone in a 45 minute conversation. I go, when I saw you at eight years old, I literally left and went to a bow shop and started shooting a bow. And I said, in fact, I have my bow in the car right now. Nice. Because I think I was going to attack like, uh -huh. like that, you know, I said, wow. to the extent I'm still lifting weights and still shooting a bow. And I was like, you were my Steve Reeves in this situation. Wow. And he actually like teared up. He was just like, wow. Like you wow. could see it kind of come full circle. Yeah. And I was like, it's so cool. But that's the stuff that he was always pouring in. You know, watching, you know, old African Queen and you yeah, know, yeah. watching Jaws Gosh, together yeah. as a kid and you know, yeah. just that stuff. And and um there's always been that built into it, which I very much appreciate just that, that fantasy as a kid. Yeah, it's important. I would, I would even say for you as a kid, you kind of don't realize it's a fantasy. Right. And I'm, I, I showed, I've been showing my kids, uh, MacGyver, the old nice. MacGyvers. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Recently they're like, look, and they're like, this is great. My wife's like, this is ridiculous. I go, no, no, no. You don't understand. <laughs> At this age, they believe this is still possible. And that's not necessarily a bad thing Yeah, that they're thinking divergently and learning how to solve problems. And it could be fantasy, but that they partially believe this is doable is going to stretch their mind to some other capability that they're going to be so far ahead of other people around them because they don't believe what is impossible is impossible. Yeah, And I think all those crazy movies and shows back in the day and you and i share all the same yeah favorite movies and shows <laughs> it's strangely enough right and i know i mean you went and did extraordinary things for decades i would have to say that had to do something with it right oh yeah no it's the power of popular culture um and now mm -hmm. that's why when i think about it and think about the inputs that our kids have i mean there's so many more and they're not necessarily mm. healthy. I think back then Correct. in the 80s, those things were still healthy because it gave you good role models to look up to. Typically, sure. they, you know, it's, it, a lot of the times it was the, uh, you know, the, the, the lone underdog against the establishment yeah. fighting yeah. for good, right, the American way, you know, all those sorts, yes. of, sorts of things. So they were a good uh, influence. 
Um, right. whether it's in the pages of books or it's a TV show or it's a movie, you know, that's your, your popular culture influences. Um, and those are important and they have been from the beginning of time through, through stories. And typically they were passing along lessons. Um, but now they're just so many different inputs and a lot of them are just the easy button of a, like a tweet for outrage. And it's, yes. uh, and now of course, big tech companies can, can manipulate, not just our behaviors, but even our thoughts these days, which is even, which is crazy, which might not necessarily um, be healthy for us because division helps them. It helps politicians, but that's about it. Uh, it doesn't really help the citizenry. Um, doesn't help the kids. That's for sure. So I love those inputs. I keep threatening to, it's with my family to have like, all right, Tuesday, uh, we're watching the A team. All right. Wednesday it's MacGyver. Thursday it's Magnum, you know, Friday it's Miami vice, you know, like going back like eight o'clock in front of the TV. Like you have to like get there because if you miss it, you know, you can't go back, you know, unless you put in like a Betamax or a VHS and you hit record. Um, so I keep threatening to do that. And I should probably just, uh, I should probably just make it happen more so for yeah, me than them. I, I, well, 100%. You're exactly, exactly right. And that's, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know if a kid would watch the original Red Dawn and it would have the same effect on them as it did you and I when we were kids. Like, yeah. <laughs> strangely enough, I <laughs> not being weird here, but it's maybe going to come faster than we thought. Unfortunately, seriously, like, you know, it's like whoosh. But I almost wore, wore my Red Dawn shirt today. It's downstairs. I did. <laughs> I did this one instead. You know, uh, I, <laughs> I want to make sure I he has still... the sore necks going on. But uh, but I almost wore the Red Dawn shirt that you gave me. Uh, oh yeah, but you look and like all those were in your right Magnum PI. And strangely enough, my dad looked exactly like Tom Selleck in nice. in, in the eighties, which probably worked out well for him, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, all those same things. And, you know, you look at what you did in, in your life and even like a lot of times I think I potentially out, um, out potentialed my potential mm. at times, because at times I didn't realize that I wasn't supposed to be able to, yeah. and I have to put it back. A lot of things that my dad put into me and even just, I hate to say popular culture was oh, yeah. very beneficial for me. Rocky, for sure. I mean, oh. I mean, um, the gym that I'm building with the stuff that you sent outside, uh, because yeah. eventually I'll have the inside gym in that barn I was talking about. But in the meantime, it's going to be Rocky Four style outside. Of so course. I'm going to get some six by sixes on uh, that picture from Sornex Outdoors. If people go to that yeah. on Instagram, uh, they yeah. can scroll down a little bit. And there's, it's been up there a couple of times, but I think there's a Punisher symbol on the top of it. But I think that's I think, Logan Hanks's. I oh, really? Oh, oh, really? Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. I think that's his spot. I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, nice. Nice. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sink. Uh, you know, sink a couple of six by sixes in the, in the ground out there and put the off the grid, you know, system out there and get the tire and get my sledge and the other things that you sent. Um, so it'll all be outside until for, yeah. you know, for a year or two. And I'll just, I think I'll just shovel it out in the snow and just get out there and just, cause hard. I need to get after it again. Like I've been, I've not <laughs> been, I, I deprioritized, uh, sleep, uh, eating right and working out over the past few years, um, obviously, so I could write the novels and get the screenplays going and and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But it, it's to influence uh, the rest of it. It's That's noticeable. Well, <laughs> thank you. But I'll tell you what, it's noticeable, uh, especially when I'm out doing something with uh, with a guy like Kevin Holland, who we talked about in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, Kevin is incredible. I mean, he was at Development Group. He was at uh, Delta. He did some amazing things overseas. Continues to do amazing things overseas yeah. to this day. Um, yeah. and what an amazing guy, but we did the SIG Hunter games. Um, uh, the first one last and, year, yeah, last yeah. year. And, uh, it was awesome. We had a great time. We got second, um, which is not bad, but I nice. was feeling it. Oh my gosh. And he's just, 
he he's not breaking he's not even breaking a sweat out there in these Jeez. mountains just climbing around and he's when we have bullet valentina is with us she's my my partner and we're and she's obviously she's not breaking a sweat either and i'm just like oh man i hope i survive this um, Dude, i was dying shots, this year yeah <laughs> it's tough well you yeah. guys had some crazy weather and you were out there and it snowed Jeez. on you and hailed on you and didn't your tent collapse a couple times Yes, all of the above. Yeah, snow man. and hail and then sun and then everything melted and all the roads turned into grease. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I was sleeping the first or second night. I got there, it was 90. And then that night it dropped to 50. And the next night it snowed three inches. Crazy. And I'm sitting there sleeping. I felt, and the, oh. the tent was folding in. And I just woke up and went boom, boom. and hit yeah, it yeah. before it collapsed. Right. And uh, I mean, I'm thinking stump. Brent Burns and a, a couple of guys, like their tent poles broke the whole nine. They just didn't wake up i just wow. happened to wake up and then i had to wake up every hour and tap the snow off yeah it was i would say it was one of the harder physical things i've done yeah um i don't live at altitude you know and really my sporting life with the hard hard stuff i did was always like power generated so it was not sustained effort you know yeah. a, a 600 pound squat like although it's very intense i don't have to do it for 10 right. hours <laughs> right know? over a couple and day period so, yeah yeah, that that wrecked me. And actually, it was funny. I was looking at my aura ring that was giving my outputs. Yeah. And I was looking. I said, oh, okay, I had a hard workout, hard workout. And then I looked. I said, hard workout, 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. What was that? And I'm like, doing my math. I go, oh, right. I put my boots on and walked to the bathroom. Oh, my gosh. And, <laughs> and my so, heart rate. Oh, wow. I had a resting heart rate of 82 when I was sleeping. Okay. And I was like, mm, yeah, maybe a little overtrained and get a little altitude-ish. Yeah. yeah. That, that wrecked me. But that was the only thing that well. saved me is I'm coming from 8,000 feet oh, and uh, yeah. everybody else was coming up, you know, from sea level. So that was, yeah. I kept thinking about that anyway, as I was going, just even if, just psychologically, like, okay, you got, you got this tiny bit of an edge because of that. I don't know if it's, you know, really true or not. Yeah. The fair. 200 feet was not helping me. Yeah. The 200 feet elevation, I was eating me alive. Yeah. And, uh, but what a cool event. Was awesome. That was awesome. I wish I'd, I'd like to do it again at some, at some point. Um, um, it was busy yeah. this year was crazy. So I couldn't, couldn't yeah. do it, but I, but it sounds like I picked a good year to miss. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was brutal. I, I, we had a couple of guys bleeding from the nose and we're getting altitude sickness and getting pulled off the mountain and yeah. hyperthermia and all kinds of stuff. Hoist, hoist Gracie and I were, we were so rocking and uh, both of our glutes just basically locked up to the point oh, wow. where we're just looking at each other. Like I can't walk forward. I'm like, no, neither can nice. I. You guys are the same. So you guys got first place, right? Yeah, sure. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I forgot. Wild. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. So had, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, probably much like you, like the physical stuff uh was was doable. Mm. We did it, but we shot really well. Like our yeah. guys were were really I felt I felt I, I practiced the shooting because that's what I nice. knew I could do at home. And um and I trained as much as I could, but you you can't really prepare fully for that altitude. But yeah, man, our team acted like a team and that awesome. was the fun fun part yeah right? yeah same with us it was for whatever reason you know uh me and uh and uh bullet valentina we clicked right away and you know kevin yeah. of course is amazing so Jeez. and we had a guide from uh from oregon who was just a an elk guide from up there who was just like a mountain goat but yeah. it was great i hope to do that again what a cool uh event they bring some really amazing people together Jeez. and uh yeah that was fun i think they, they made a, they had added another team member this year i think we had just the three of us and kevin is our kind of rso okay. um uh, and then I think they added another one this year for for you guys. So it was a team yeah, we had three, bigger. and then the the one RSO or the yeah. the um, they call them the RO or something, the or, pro. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, this year. It was Corey Jacobson, for nice. us, who runs Elk, Elk One Hundred One. Awesome. Super awesome yeah. guy. Like I was thinking about him last chill. night because I'm like, I'd love to because the the elk out here it was really it was a high pitch. 
They sounded very, ah. I guess, young. You know, I'm not really, you know, I go with people that do that sort of thing that live it. You know, they I try to learn. Right. I'm always trying to learn. I'm always a student, but sure. I'm I'm definitely a student when it comes to to that sort of thing. But these ones sound to me, they sounded really young. Um, okay. Well, all of them except for one did, and uh, but it was just well, I hadn't okay. heard that pitch before, and I've heard Elk Bugle, you know, a little bit, um, yeah. but I hadn't heard <laughs> this this pitch before. Maybe because I was just so close for so long or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they really sounded sounded young to me. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, wanna, so I, wanna, I, I, I think I have one coming up, um, but I'm not positive. It's not totally locked in. Things just kind of come up last minute a lot, but I think I might have to kind of cancel everything for the fall because I got to finish this book. I have a really cool- You got the sixth book coming? Yeah, sixth book coming. So uh, with the premiere and finishing things up yeah. and editing and all that stuff for the series, uh, it put me a tiny bit behind. So uh, I think this week I got to make a call on this Alaska hunt. Um, mm. Alaska brown bear hunt. And I've done it before up there, but, uh, yeah, I, I think you went back. last year and uh, well, I went up there last year. Hunt. Yep. And that was, uh, mm. it was inland. So this one is in the Admiralty islands. So, um, wow. so this is a little, little different, but I've done this one before you're, you're on a boat and then you go in every day. Uh, and, cool. and then you hike up these streams and it's crazy. You're going up there. So nice. glacier guides and, um, mutts. So her mom was the first Alaska female, um, master guide and she's the second okay. female and she's the, she's the daughter. Uh, so you're hiking up these things, but she grew up doing it with her family. And so it's been passed along and she's just, you're walking by all these just huge bear. I mean, everything looks huge to me. Right. Um, and moms, and, yeah. And you're just walking up these streams and you're working your way up, but you're just passing these things. And she's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm ready to rock, right. I'm ready just wow, in case, yeah. but, uh, you're very close to these things. Um, what are you taking with you? What firearm? Three, seven, five. Yeah. 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 Main, firearms are Seiko guys. from their custom shop, Seiko 375. Okay. Yeah. I, but it's, it has a wood stock. So I'm, I think this year mm-hmm. I'm trying to, uh, what's the one I want to get? I want to get, uh, is it another Seiko? Anyway, they have one with a, a composite stock that, uh, yeah. they could probably be better for, for up there, stainless barrel and everything for that. Cause you're in yeah, seawater, you're, so. you're in the salt water essentially. Sure. Um, yeah. I love how much you put, uh, the, the gear into your books like that, that <laughs> yeah. is as a gear guy, I don't know we'll add a lot of gear, but basically if it's about shooting, hunting or lifting, like that's my thing. Nice. And so people are like, ah, I don't know, man, it's just some of that stuff he talks about. I don't know what it is. I'm like, move over. I'm, oh, look, man. This, is, this is where I get to drive here. So oh. I, I love that aspect of your writing. I appreciate it. Did you see, did you watch the show yet? Then did you see that you can see watched, in the background? You have to, pa- you have to pause the, it. Oh, just okay, the first. I watched the first one, the first episode thus far. And then I also heard episode eight, uh, a couple people have sent me a screenshot episode and said eight. there's a, uh, there's an officer who pulls over uh, Reese. Yeah. Uh, I think it's yeah. a, 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 an officer and he has a, um, a name tag. Yeah. And his name tag is Soren. Is it? I'm going to go check that out. That's yeah, awesome. Ep- episode eight. No yeah. way. I didn't notice the yeah, name tag. like, yeah, someone's like, I've had like five different people. Some customers are like, dude, your name tag is, you know, and I was like, oh, is it There's so many this? things like that. And I end up doing yeah. this other podcast uh, with the showrunner and my buddy, Jared Shaw, former SEAL who gave the, yeah. the book to Chris Pratt. Um, we're doing a podcast where we talk about each episode and things yeah. like that come up all the time because yeah. so much got put in there because they really wanted to put these little Easter egg things all over the place. And I hadn't noticed yeah. that one. Yeah, no, I, I was just like, I thought it was pretty funny. I, I haven't got to that one yet, but two or three people have hit me with that. And uh, and I said, well, is the guy at least cool? He goes, it's a small female. Oh, <laughs> so like, hers? Well, okay, yeah, perfect. I definitely didn't know. 
<laughs> That's even better. That's even better. Well, if you pause it in his garage in episode one or two, I'll have to go back and look. You can see uh, Sornex on the on the, oh sweet yeah in the background on a on a, oh, uh, a plate nice. on a plate. Um, there there was a lot more of it, but things get cut. You know, there's so many things that ended up on the cutting room floor uh, yeah, that were uh, that I loved. Um, but you just gotta sake of the flow and everything else that's how it goes and then a plate was in the opening credits and that one didn't make it didn't make it in either i I was like oh that'd be so cool oh man that was that that was was right there but a lot of that stuff got morphed as we uh, as we went through it but that would have been pretty cool because that was yeah pretty legit way cool yeah how uh are you guys looking to hopefully do a multi-year series for all the books we'll see i sure am uh i know (laughs) (laughs) there's one guy who's really big uh no i know everybody would like to do it but now it's you know negotiate those you know everybody up at those senior levels at amazon and and chris's team and stuff they need to work it out so heard is crushing, right? Yeah. So I mean, number, it's like one the number one, yeah, on, number one, yeah, number one, pretty good. And it's crushing around the world good. too. From uh, and Amazon has all that data; they'll never share it. You know, they just like right. just like any you know, just like any sort of online platform. You know, they can track everything that you do in these tech companies, as we know. I mean, you know, there's a reason why when you start talking to your to your spouse about putting on an addition to the uh, to the house or doing a remodel, that all of a sudden things start showing up in your Instagram that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, is that Alice? It's, it's, it's somebody Alice. in this case, I don't Alice think it's Alice, that? but it's a, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's certainly Google. Um, but there's a reason, you know, that that stuff starts, uh, starts popping up in there, but, uh, Freaks oh, me out, yeah, but so they have the data and they know, but they won't, you know, they would never share it, but they know, uh, you know, how long you watch and when you change and, you know, I'm sure wow. there are algorithms that, uh, uh, that, uh, kind of co- correlate all different actors and how long people watch each one and what kind of scenes and this sort of a thing. So you can almost like pay, it kind of takes the art out of it. If you ever got to that stage, let's say in 10 years, when you just wanted to make something that keeps the most eyeballs on the screen and you do that right. based on the data that you've collected over the previous 20 years, um, I mean, kind of takes the art out of it a little bit, but I think that's maybe the way we're headed. I don't know. That's just a Jeez. guess. Heck, they Crazy. probably have the thing in your TV that shoots, uh, knows where your eyes are. Who knows? It, I, I would like, say that that probably is not that far away. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, Somewhat terrifying. It but. is. It really is. But they've got that data, you know, they, but uh, from what I can gather, uh, not just in the United States, but around the world, it's, it's crushing. So, um, Gosh, I know I, I would think that Amazon wants to do another season and I know Chris does, but it's, you know, they have to have their people talk to each other and figure it sure. all out. And, you know, if it sure. happens, it happens, you know, great. And if it doesn't, then, Hey, I'm just excited that, uh, that we made one, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. good, you know, like from a little uh, kid, like when we were a little kid watching those movies yeah. and I'm like reading yeah. a novelization of Rambo first blood part two, that same summer that, uh, by, written by David Morrell, that same summer that I, I see the film. Uh, and I'm thinking, Hey, one day I'm going to write books, you know, like this, I'm going to, it's going to be number one, number one New York times bestselling book. Uh, and it's going to be made into a film. And the eighties you're thinking film, you know, now we think, you know, more streaming series, you know, that's, you know, it's kind of in the same, you know, same type of a deal. Um, but it happened. So I'm like, I'm so, ha- I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more thrilled. And if, uh, you know, if we make some more great. And like I said, if we don't, then, you know, that's okay too. What do you think your 10 year old version would think of you? I think they wouldn't be shocked. Really? He's yeah. just like, I worked out. Cool. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was putting in the work even back then. Um, like you, I had that, that bow, um, you know, I had one a little, little earlier, but then that summer I got another one, um, because that was sixth grade summer, I think. And, um, 
So then I'm just going up in trees and I'm just practicing and I'm, you know, climbing ropes and your face exactly. And yeah. Running around with just, you know, some army surplus green <laughs> pants on, no shirt, you know, yes. a little ba red bandana around my head. Um, you know, but I'm training Maybe some kind of you know? torn tarp. Yeah, exactly. On. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. Burlap sack. Um, looking, just wishing I could afford one of those 1999 uh, combat knives that would show up on infomercials at that yeah. summer, you know, that were yeah. awful. But uh, you didn't know that as a kid. You're just like, oh, man, no. you can put fish hooks in that handle, too. That's amazing. Um, I actually met Jimmy Lyle. Oh, man, age. no way. Yeah, yeah. I, my dad used to take me to Blade Show when I was a kid. Oh, I was like dude. nine years old. I met Jimmy Lyle no right when the movie came kidding. out. I got to hold one of the originals. But, I mean, who would have known? Like, I realized what I was doing. You know, age. somebody sent me on eBay the other day, like just a couple of days ago, and you just reminded me of it. Um, one of the, they say that it's one of the original uh, knives, like number 57. And I have to go back to, there's a blade wow. magazine that I have around here, not very far away, um, that mm. talks about the exact numbers and who got what. I think uh, wow. Stallone got like one through 10 and he gave gave all of them away except for for one, I think. I have to go back mm. to that Blade magazine and and read it. But, um, you know, wow. they made a few, um, or Jimmy Lyle yeah. made, a, made a few back then that they actually then sold. So, so I don't know. I need to, once wow. again, you need someone who's, whose only job is to, to track down that FJ40 right. and to sit there on eBay and try to get that. And then to be on gun broker and like, wait, if you can't buy it now for something that you want, like that's a full-time job. You know? Could you imagine what the, what the M60 that, uh, that he, he shot from that, the hip Seriously. would be worth that belt bed would be. Seriously. Be it's out there somewhere. You know, it, it is. It's like it the, is. uh, I think the Breda 92F from, uh, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. I think that's, uh, I think that's out there somewhere. Uh, wow. I think somebody bought it though. I think somebody did get that. I'm not, not positive. Or, um, or Jed's 45 Colt from Red Dawn. Oh man, that'd be cool. That's out there, you know, but you know, we wonder like how much you really, you know, what records were kept uh, back then. If right. it just went back into a box in a prop house that had, you know, a box of right. exactly, you know, 10 of the exact same ones or yeah. like, like, who knows, you know, it's just, but yeah, all those things. I love, I love all that stuff. Magnum, yeah. Magnum's Rolex is out there. I know. So I've got, uh, once again, I need to, um, I need to get somebody that's whose only job is to track these things down. <laughs> I, well, you could probably write it off. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's getting enough. Oh, crazy, man. No, I love, I love going back and, and watching all those. My, my wife isn't as into it as I am, the eighties action films. So I have I'm to, uh, I have to wait and save up till, till she's off somewhere else. And then I get to, then I watch them. But, uh, but sometimes I need to watch them for actual research now or watch shows for, for research. Someone's coming yes. on the podcast or, or whatever else. So, sure. um, someone who did one of these <clears throat> movies, you know, might come on and so I'll have to, Oh, I'll go back and watch at least a few. Let's say they made 10 movies and I'm going to go watch a few of them from each different yeah. period that they were, you know, so I can have some, some more, uh, recent type of, uh, uh, experience with their, uh, with their films in order to ask the, you know, in, you know, informed questions Correct. and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, she doesn't like, I don't, she doesn't like to watch them as much as I do, but, uh, you know, it's just that's what the cave is for. That's, that's where it. it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go train late at night and then it's, I'm going to watch my old movies like the eighties style. You know, yeah. Well, in the new podcast the studio, when you, uh, when you come up mm -hmm. and I wish it was happening next week, but I had, there's a big screen in there. It's not working yet, but I'll be able to watch some, you know, shows for research. And then if I actually do need to watch something for research, it's very difficult to watch it in the house when everything here is going on with wife, three kids, yes. all the craziness. I can't be like, well, I'm just watching, going to sit here and watch a movie because it looks like fun. It looks like I'm just relaxing. <laughs> yeah. Even I'm if I have a pen, I swear I need to take some notes. Uh, <laughs> but when everything else is going around and you're not helping, you know, it's, uh, you know, you have to be kind of yeah, out of sight. I've noticed that. You know how, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. How old are your kids now? Because you're uh, roughly the same age as mine. So we have 16, 14, and 11. 
Okay. Yeah. You're, you're a bit further along. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember. Yeah. That's so awesome. in the, in the thick of it, it's uh it's chaos, but my daughter and I, we got to go to um, uh, Pearl Harbor this last year with the best defense foundation, which was incredible um, and helped veterans uh, get to and from these different events. And we had 60, Three, I want to say. Anyways, around a little over 60 uh, that we took back there for the 80th anniversary commemoration events. That's and uh, my daughter got to sit across the table from these guys, hear their stories, um, help them in and out of their wheelchairs to the events, to their meals, get them, you know, make sure they're taking their medication, like all that stuff. And, you know, I've never seen her engage like that. And uh, it was life-changing, I think. And then we went to Normandy and did the same thing. We took 23 veterans back to Normandy um, this June. And uh, mm-hmm. once again, same thing. I mean, she's sitting across the table from guys in 101st airborne that were first in their stick to jump in to normandy on d-day another guy 82nd airborne crashed his glider into uh you know in normandy and got out and then these guys all fought all the way through battle of the bulge all the way to berlin another guy was one of the first out of the landing craft you know that that uh that gate falls and ran into the surf and you know and we're sitting there on these beaches with these guys um and in the towns in which they fought and she's having dinner with them or getting to get their food and bring it back and sitting there and talking to them and hearing their stories and it was it's pretty amazing but i think i wouldn't be yeah surprised if she does uh you know something either in the military or you know supporting veterans somehow i'm just not sure mm-hmm. and we're, we're around like i know you have a close connection to veteran community where did all all that start did it start with that popular culture you think back then and yeah oh 100 100 yeah. i always you know of course you thought i thought a green beret was the coolest thing yeah. ever because that's what john rambo absolutely was. <clears throat> i didn't know anything about it i had zero context for that and really as i was growing up i was you know doing the weightlifting and then sports started and you know and i i didn't know a lot of people in the military. I didn't even know there was like a channel. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how that worked. Right. And I, you know, I'm just a blinder. So I mean, I'm like an eighties kid, but yeah. like, I'm also a only child too. So I was outside screwing around in the woods, building forts. I wasn't going to figure out what method that I was going to get to the next phase of my yeah. life. It was just like, I'm going to go take this cast net and walk around in the shallow water until I catch a bunch of stuff and just going to have fun. You know? Yeah. Um, so it wasn't really until I was out of college, I was like, wait a second, like y'all went and did this other thing. And then, you know, then right about the time I got out of college, a couple of years later, I was training for the Olympics and 9-11 kicks off. And, you know, and then I'm, I'm training to get on the U S team. So there was, there was a lot of pride and and patriotism of U S and I just remember it hitting differently and going, wow, like I know people that are, I went to high school with they're they're over in this crazy place. I've never heard of and they're fighting. And, Mm. And then I kind of put two and two together, like, oh, those guys are who you, I used to think were cool as kids. There was mm-hmm. like this long period that I just didn't connect the two things. And then later, you know, you kind of go, well, I had my path, but other people certainly went and did their path. And then probably at 30-ish, I started running into some fellows from your community. And then we realized that there was a lot of mutual respect, yeah. a lot of very, very similar interests similar frames of mind and mm-hmm. feeling of patriotism but then just we both did hard stuff and went after hard stuff we just did it in different ways so uh, my my community and basis of friends really started becoming military friendly and military heavy um partly because i just wanted to give back to that community that i didn't really participate in just kind of from ignorance. Mm. And, you know, I always thought like, gosh, like, should I have tried to go into, you know, the military or one of the special forces, something like that? Like, you know, always that burning question, like, could I have made it, yeah. you know, could I have done that? And, um, 
you know, and some people that they're in that world, they're like, you know, our community. I was like, no, no, it's your community. Like, let's not like, they're like, but you're in our community. I go, well, well like there's two different things, whether I was capable enough, maybe, and whether I decided to do that and sign that check yeah. are two different things. Yeah. I don't mix those two. I'm very aware of that. Yeah. And, but you know, I, I, I don't feel any type of guilt, but I also, I, I, I appreciate the men and women that did stuff for our country so very much yeah. that if I could be helpful and I've, I've found the ways that I could be helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not always monetarily. A lot of times it's just be there for people and uh, to support people, maybe in a way that they're not getting in their current iteration. Yeah. And um, my house has been open for years and years and years for multiple um, veterans and just folks, just whatever we could do. And so, you know, as a, as a only child, you know, I didn't have brothers and sisters. So I always wanted to have that kinship. And and that was probably my favorite moment of any movie was the end of Red Dawn when the two brothers are together yeah. on the on the on the bench. Yeah. And I just go, I want to feel that way about someone. I want to feel that way about a brother or a friend or something like that. I would it would be a success to die in their arms fighting together. Like that would be okay. And you know, and so there may be something inside me that wants to be able to, to help people that maybe don't have that opportunity to be with someone or feel alone, or they feel like they're yeah. in trouble. And I go, well, I've had a pretty successful life. I've worked very hard with gambled and done some things, but if I had that opportunity and that when we built our new house, that's what Leslie and I, my wife, we built it as a place of recovery and of, yeah. of rejoicing and to intentionally to pull people over and, and plenty of rooms and things like that, because the people in, in the athletic community, but the military community and just friends of mine, like, I want to make sure that they have a place and that, you know, at times it's a halfway house yeah. <laughs> at times it's a, you know, people get off the radar and come over and just love up on them. And, and it's, and, you know, it's part of my wife and I's ministry to be there for people. And so like, that's kind of, how I interface with the military world, but I want to make sure people know that I was, I did not serve. I don't pretend to say that I did. And I, 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 I like to think in my best hour I could have, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, uh, you know, I know that, uh, that you have been accepted into the special operations community. There are a few people out there, you, Daniel Winkler, there's a few people that have been embraced by the, uh, by the special operations community. And, uh, you know, you are, are it's definitely an honor and I still, I feel still feel an imposter syndrome on that. Cause I go, Hey man, don't it's, it's, it, I appreciate well, it. Well, kindred spirits, kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. But man. thank you. But in the lead up to nine 11, I mean, you, how do you get into like the hammer throw? Cause if somebody sees that you're like, like you, I couldn't just walk down to the big five and buy the hammer throw thing and then go out in my backyard and like toss it through my neighbor's wall. Like, how do you even get uh yeah. start in the hammer? And was it the hammer throw and like the weight the hammer throw and the weight? Yeah. 35 pound weight, which is the indoor hammer. Okay. They have the indoor track and field outdoor track and field outdoors. What everyone knows about during the winter, they also have indoor track and field <sighs> and the hammer throw. It goes too far to throw indoors. They have this 35 pound little fat guy that only goes about a third as far. So it's a training aid, but then they say, well, we'll make it an event. No so, way. Cause it seems very dangerous. Yeah. Like if you release oh, yeah. it in the wrong position, it seems like someone's taking that thing, yeah. you know, through the jaw. Oh yeah. Yeah. People get killed every couple of years. Someone will get killed. I mean, it's, you're talking a 16 pound ball. It goes 200, 250 feet and comes down. I mean, yeah. it goes through stuff. It's like um, a cannon. 
essentially. It's a cannon. Yeah, it was an original weapon. So it goes back to the weapons part. Oh, nice. I always liked weapons, right? Yeah, yeah. Javelins and and I just love seeing stuff fly. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why I still enjoy nice. archery so much because people are like, why are you so into archery? I go, this is just what I was doing when I was throwing a hammer. I like to see stuff go really far yeah. and I love watching it. Yeah. And I used to be able to make big, heavy things go really far. Now I can make arrows go far. I can watch a vapor trail Jeez. of a rifle bullet or yeah. whatever. It's the same stuff. So that's crazy. But uh, yeah, how's the first time? Like, they're like, hey, you look pretty strong. You should uh, try this uh, <laughs> so hammer throw thing. You look like an idiot that doesn't want to do a sport that will ever get paid for. Come yeah. over here. <laughs> Come on, we got a thing. We got a sport There's for hundreds you. of dollars yeah. to be made. And we got an sport. invent for you. Yeah, you'll make hundreds. Uh, well, yeah, how does that, how does that start? Uh, very funny. So I went to the university of South Carolina. I meant to go to Appalachian state up where Kevin's from. No way. It's beautiful up there. I was just, I mean, I was just there last week. That is what a great college town right there. That is where I wanted to go to school. I wanted to go up. It's a hidden gem up there. I wanted to be a snowboarder in the winter and a hunting guide and a fly fisher guide in the summer. And that's what I want to do with my life. I wanted to grow a beard and just, just be a mountain dude. That's what I want to do in high school. So of course I applied late to Appalachian state cause I was half paying attention. I was probably out fishing or something. And the last minute I'm like, Oh cool. Let me apply to South Carolina as a backup. Well, I got in there. This is like 10 miles away from my house. I was like, oh, okay, I'll go, I'll go there for a semester, get my grades up right. and then pop into app state. I won't be basically an out mountain dude. This will be, this will be a great life. <clears throat> so I get to college. I just party my ass off for like the first six days straight. I yeah. ride around on my mountain bike, stay drunk, chase girls, do the whole, like, again, we grew up in the eighties. So I thought eighties movies were accurate <laughs> and how college is going to be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of was, them. Yeah. It was not like the eighties movies, but I tried to make them like that. Right. So the like sixth or seventh day I wake up, I'm kind of hung over. I'm like, all right, I need to like actually do something. I need to do some physical work at, you know, lift weights. So I knew that Sorenex had built the football or the athletic weight room at South Carolina. And that in we, the rec center had like a really crappy weight room. So I didn't want to train there. So I was like, well, I'm going to train on our stuff, the stuff I'm used to. Mm-hmm. So I called pops and I didn't have a cell phone yet because cell phones were around then. Um, I said, Hey, I want to work out. Do you think you'd get me into the athletic weight room? So like, yeah, sure. Let me call down there. Called. They said, yeah, come out after all the athletes are gone. Like I assume five or six o'clock at the end of the day. I'm 17 years old. I don't know. I don't pay attention to time. I just get done eating my burrito and go, screw it. I'm going down to the weight room. So I go down there two o'clock. And if you've ever been in a college weight room, two o'clock PM is like the busiest time ever. (laughs) Everyone's out of, everyone's out of their classes and it's just a gong show, but it's the first week of school. So all athletes are in the same weight room. Mm -hmm. So no one knows each other. So I kind of walk in unannounced and everyone's wearing kind of plain clothes because they haven't got their stuff yet. So everyone looks the same. And so I'm walking, I'm like, "Hmm." walk in, I'm doing some power cleans. I'm like, this is great. I'm just like, it's like a commercial gym. I don't have to pay for it. Yeah. This is awesome. Which is really funny. If you think about it, I basically infiltrated a college program. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so I'm doing that and I'll look over and some kids are standing in line and they're doing the vertical jump testing where you test your height yep. and, you know, and then you go and whack. That looks awesome. Going back to Rocky four. Nice. I'm like, Oh, the cool. Diagnostics. Uh-huh. I've never done this. This looks cool. So I walk over, stand in line, boom, jump up 29 and a half inches. Like, Hey, pretty good. I was like, all right, anyway, good. And I walk off. They give me a little piece of paper. Okay. So I go over and I'm doing some bench presses. They, and then I see the same group. They're doing the body fat composition test in this office. I'm like, this is really cool. Yeah. This is like Rocky four. I'm like, well, I'm going to see what my body fat 
that is. This is awesome. So I'm standing in line. I get to the guy who's running the calipers. He goes, all right, what's your name? And I was like, I just hand him my sheet. And he goes, what sport are you? And I'm just like, oh, I got to make up something. So <laughs> I said, uh, track and field. Because I had done track and field in high school. And uh-huh. I sucked. And my dad was a good shot putting discus thrower. So I knew enough of it. I could talk my way yeah. out of it if I was asked. He goes, okay, what events? So I'm like, shot putting discus. And he goes, okay, how far did you throw in high school? I'm like, this guy's supposed to give my bot, do my body fat. Right. Why is he asking me these questions? And I went, oh, well, I threw 44 feet and 132. I wasn't very good. He goes, all right, what'd you get at the state championship? I'm like, like, what well, give me a third degree for it, dude. And then I'm getting like, all right, someone's on to me at yeah. this part. Right. And so I said, well, I didn't go to the state championship. You know, I wasn't very good. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And he's just like, he goes, oh, okay. So he does the body fat and everything. And he, hands me, he goes, okay, well, practice starts tomorrow. My name is Larry Judge. I'm the throws coach at the University of South Carolina. I'm like, wow. the one dude I couldn't lie to on campus, probably yeah. within this entire city of yeah. 100,000 people, the one guy who called me on right. was that guy. You know, it's like basically telling someone that you're going to, you're, you're going to join the, you know, you're going to join buds and Navy SEALs yeah, like yeah. in six, you know, this, this season and happens to be the right. guy who, who runs buds, you know? I go, oh, okay. He goes, well, yeah, practice starts tomorrow. I need to be there. I go, well, that's a spring sport like this August. I said, okay, I'll, I'll come out. And he goes, uh-uh, no, son, you're in college now. It starts tomorrow. And I go, okay, coach, I'll try to make it. Totally making that up. Yeah. I was trying to just back out right, of this right. conversation. <clears throat> and he goes, no, if you're going to be on the team, you will make it tomorrow. I go, okay. And I walked out and I went home and I got on my phone in my dorm room. I called dad. He goes, how's your work? I go, I think I just joined the track team. And he goes, you joined the track team. Why? Wait, what? Like knowing that he was the great track athlete. I sucked. He's like, but that was his alma mater. So he thought I was trying to like do something for him. And I was like, I I don't know. I I had this conversation and they told me to show up. He goes, you going to do it? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'll show up. I'll see what it's about. And he goes, you don't have to do this for me. I go, I I'm going to show up. I'm going to see what's up. Okay. So I show up the next day, the biggest people I've ever seen in my life. Cause I'm a six foot two, 172 pounds, 17 years old. Oh, wow. I'm like, a okay. being, yeah. right? all these throwers are giant. They're all four chip blue star athletes yeah. from all over the country. They, they, I didn't realize that South Carolina track and field, especially the throws group was like, they were just about to break out as the up and coming yeah, dynasty of yeah, it was like the team mm. that like kind of no one knew was the team yet. So I walk on there, literally no earthly idea what was going on. I didn't know anything about sports. I, I just lived outside all the time. So they asked me, they said, well, how far, how far have you thrown? You, you're skinny, so you should throw the javelin. I'm like, okay, cool. I was like, ah, that's like a spear. It's like a weapon. This is awesome. They go, well, how far can you throw a javelin? Go, no, I've never seen one. They go, how far can you throw a football? I go, never played. How fast can you throw a baseball? I go, Never played. I could throw a rock pretty far. And they're like, all right, that's going to have to do. <laughs> <laughs> no way. So we got to practice and he goes, well, I'm going to have you throw the hammer. I'm like, what's that? He goes, this is kind of like a shot put on the end of a wire. Don't kill anyone. Uh, we don't, yeah, we don't kill anyone, but you're relatively tall and uh, you never know. You might be good one day. They're like, okay, this looks cool. So I was spinning around. I was enjoying it. This was fun. I was just showing up to practice. Like they expected I was going to be there for like a week. They'd run me off. They called me Rudy because the movie Rudy yeah, had yeah. just come out. So I was like the undersized, like, 
you know, and they're just, they're kind of like, what's this Soren kid keep showing up for? And I'm just like, I don't know. They'll tell me to show up. So I would just work, 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 work. And every four weeks we would like do this max out on in lifting. So every four weeks I was getting like exponentially strong yeah. and I got addicted to that. And I was like, Oh, so if I just work really, 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 really hard and eat everything in sight, yeah. I could gain like pounds per month. And my strength levels are for me, we're just shooting through the roof. Wow. And so I got this dip, my early addiction of, oh, this is what success feels like. Mm. This is what hard work feels like, because I always respected athletes. And I always secretly was ashamed I wasn't one mm. because I grew up in the strength culture, but I just sucked. So every, every four weeks, it was like, I was a new man and I was just like, give me more of whatever this is. And if this means hard work and I got to go home and piss blood and eat till I puke. And every four weeks I get that the dopamine hit of being the best I've ever been. Sign me up for life. This is awesome. No way. And, uh, it was pretty cool. I ended up putting on 30 pounds of muscle my first semester in college I went from 172 to 199, basically almost, almost 30 pounds. Wow. And, uh, my squat the first year went from 320 for a single to 445 for five. And I was just, I mean, it was just boom, 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 boom. And I was just like, this is all I want to do. This is all I want to think about. I finally can be one of those athlete guys. And I still suck compared to the other guys, mm. but I just kind of convinced myself. It was, it was when that darn movie, the edge came out too. You remember, oh, I remember the edge uh, with Anthony Hopkins ah. when he kills the bear with a stick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. And remember yeah, the line was what one man can do. Another can do. And I heard that and I'm like, all right. And so I talk, started talking to the other guys there. I was like, well, yeah, I'm getting all excited for this home meet. And they go, the home meets don't matter. I go, what do you mean? They don't matter. It's a competition, right? They go, the only thing that matters is the, the conference and the, in the national championships. I go, okay, what's that? <laughs> and they go, the conference, like, the SEC, I go, okay, what's the SEC mean? They go, Southeastern Conference. I go, is that like a meeting we go to? They go, no, dumb, dumb. That's the conference championships. That's, I go, okay, cool. Yeah. So I have to be good at that one. They're like, yeah, you got to be good at that one. And then if you're really good, you get to qualify for nationals. I go, and what's that mean? They go, well, you do that. And if you're really, really good, you get all American there. I go, got it. So that's what I need to do then. They're like, yeah, sure, kid. Like, that's what you need to do. And then that, that I just told myself, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to that conference thing and I'm going to score points there. And if I do that, they're going to give me some money to go to school. And then after that, I'm going to go to that national thing. And if I do really good there, I'll get more. And if I go there, I could maybe be an all American one day. Cause two of the guys on our team, they're like, yeah, we're all Americans. And to me, that was like right. hearing, like when you're a kid, you hear like, oh, Navy SEAL, like right. that's this thing. That's this, this entity. And I just told my mom, I was like, I'm going to be one of those All-American things one day because that sounds amazing. That will be what I consider a success. Okay. And, and I just said, okay, I'm just going to put in the work until it happens. And then kind of fast forward, I ended up scoring at eight out of eight conference championships. My In the hammer. hammer throw. In the hammer, the weight, and the javelin. I ended up and javelin. okay at the javelin. Nice. Um, ended up being all American. I got it four times Dang. my twice, my junior year, twice my senior year. And then my last throw of my sec career, I had a three foot lifetime best, which is pretty crazy amount from 68 to 72 feet, uh, my last throw and broke the sec record. So Dang. I was got to be sec record holder for a couple of years. And so it was like, 
storybook ending, I got to go, okay, I literally went from the worst person in the SEC, <laughs> the shittiest, horrible, to like my last throw of my career. Yeah. I was able to say I was the best person to ever do this at the SEC. That's so amazing. It was, it was, that is crazy. Yeah, it was awesome. So, I mean, what if you hadn't, that's one of those things, like what if you hadn't called your dad and been like, hey, you think you can get me in there? Or he hadn't answered the phone that day or, you know, it just didn't work out. They'd said, no, nah, we don't have room for him. Or, hey, you know, maybe, maybe another time. Or, you know, man, that is crazy. And then you look at like all the things you're right. Like, why did I go at that time? Yeah. If I did go and just work out and leave, and that's what I call the open yeah. door policy. Like everyone says like, oh, you guys, you, you have to have these opportunities, these open doors. And I argue and I say, listen, there are doors that are open through that hallway of life. Yeah. You're walking down your hallway of life and there are open doors. Some of them are cracked. Some of yeah. them are wide open. Some of them are maybe closed that you need to open. Yeah, you might need to, to bang that lock. You need to pick that lock. But a lot of them are more open than you think. Mm. People are just afraid to take their head out of their ass yeah. and actually open those doors and check them out. Yeah. And so, especially in this I was country, literally, especially in this country, right? Yeah. You're exactly right. And so I was literally just sitting, I was doing my thing. I was interested enough to walk through an open door to go, huh, what's this about? And then when someone says, well, you're not supposed to be in this room, but if you want to come in, yeah. you can. And I was like, to this day, I have no idea why I did it. Why in the world would I go do? It literally would like go, oh yeah, I took a wrong turn, but this is buds. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like yeah. this sounds great. Let me go do this. Yay. And then like yeah. 20 years into it, because I competed for 20 years. And then later you're like, oh, right. I made a career of this, like Amazing. two Olympic trials after that, like literally changed the trajectory of my entire life. And I look back and I go, it makes no sense yeah. unless it was preordained that that was what I was supposed to do. Cause then I look, I go without college track and field, I wouldn't have really understood how to train and how to lift. I wouldn't have fallen yeah. in love with lifting. I wouldn't have fallen in love with human performance. Right. I wouldn't have had my you know, attempted Olympic career that turned into a professional Highland Games career. I want to ask you about Highland Games, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to let you go without that. asking about that. Yeah. And, but then that is really what set the basis for Sorenex at that era because I started working in 99. I started working January, uh, July 1st, 1999, which was two weeks after my last collegiate national championship. Mm. So going into what I was trying to train for the Olympics for the next five years, all I cared about was training. So much like yourself, when you were doing in the steel teams, like that was probably weapons and training mm -hmm. and tactics. Like that was all that was in here. And for me, that's all I cared about. The cool part was, is the industry was shifting out of the hypertrophy bodybuilding world mm -hmm. into human performance training. So I hit it like coming off the exit at yeah. 70 miles an hour, right into where the, the, where the, the whole field was going okay. was exactly where I was living, which was how do you get bigger, faster, stronger, and compete better? So the, for the next five to 10 years, all I cared about was getting better and what happened to be what the industry wanted. Yeah. And I look back and I go, if I hadn't have gone to the weight room that day, I laugh. I go, I'd have been a fly fishing guide in Boone, North Carolina. I'd have stayed at 170, 180 pounds. I'd been skinny, wrung out, and I'd been running around the mountains. I'd have killed a boatload of stuff. <laughs> and I'd have had a bunch of fun yeah. and all this other. But I go, Sorenex probably wouldn't have survived because dad mm -hmm. needed help. So that wouldn't be a com company. Mm -hmm. the, the success that we've had and we've yeah. been able to do, we wouldn't have been able to build the culture. We wouldn't have been able to 
help the military, like all that yeah. stuff. And I go, gosh, that kind of really boils down to me being kind of curious one day yeah. and open. And when a door opened, I went, okay. Amazing. Yeah. And so I look at that and it brings me to tears at times. Cause I was like, it just doesn't make mathematical sense under any other circumstance. You couldn't like, all right, here's what's going right. to happen. This is going to be great. You'll right. love this. Story. You know? And you're just like, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, like I, there was not even on the radar. Yeah. Uh, um, so that's kind of my story, how I got into the yeah. track and field and throwing, but that's, that's why I still so love that. Yeah. Like I watched, I stayed up till midnight last night. One of our employees, Josh Daltunde, he actually uh, was competing for the U S last night in his first world championships. And he got the bronze medal through a lifetime best three times. Just in hammer. Awesome. Was he? Uh, shot put. Shot put. Shot put. Amazing. Yeah. So he ended up just bombing out, just blew it up. And so he's a fellow Gamecock. He trains here at Sornex. We have a job here for him and stuff like that. So he went on his awesome. first worlds last night. Uh, strangely enough, to the same stadium that I ended my college career on. It's awesome. And in Eugene, Oregon. Oh, wow. And I'm, you know, watching with my son watching this, like, hey, I'm watching him realize the dream oh, I never cool. got to do. And it was just awesome. And I look and I and I go, gosh, you know, is there a part of our the Gamecock track and field dynasty that was built because that group that I came through with became kind of the golden era of, yeah. of that program because we were all young freshmen that just probably grew up watching too many 80s movies. And we all thought that we all <laughs> thought that we could be something. Yeah. We just didn't know any better. Right. You know, and all of us ended up that. going to nationals and yeah. we just like, we're supposed to do right. this. And people are like, y'all are crazy. You're like, no, we're supposed to yeah. do this. And it's like, imagine all the negative inputs people get today. Like so many, it's gotta be a lot more than we got growing up in the eighties or whatever. I mean, every time you oh, go sure. on to Twitter or whatever else you're going on to, I mean, how many more negative inputs are, is a 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kid getting today than, than we got, right. you know, it was so positive, you know, going to those movies, you know, you didn't, you didn't leave the right. movie going like this, you know? Maybe there was a couple, but those were the outliers. You know, most of the time you walk right, out you there, you're like, movie, yes. you, walked out. you walk out of Predator, you know, you walk out of Rambo First Blood <laughs> Part Two, you walk out of Commando, you know, you walk out of Rocky Four, you're fired up, you know? Fired uh, up. Yeah. Yeah. And the only person that was maybe going to do something negative was like a bully. Yeah. Like they would have to actually physically interface <laughs> with you yeah. or like maybe a non-supported parent. But besides that, yeah. everyone else is like, yeah, yeah, Rocky, that would totally happen. I mean, from, and those You're things like, still yeah, exist today. But, you know, the other inputs, the popular culture inputs were, you know, I, I would think uh, they leaned positive, I would think, um, for the most part. As from look, what I remember. Looking back, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, man, that's wild. And it just makes me wonder, like, is this next group of people? I know, that's what I was getting at. Will they have the opportunity to randomly go to college and go do something yeah. that doesn't make any sense mathematically yeah. And change their trajectory, their oh, life. Man. I don't know if that's possible anymore. Yeah. Maybe I hope. Man, I surely hope. I wonder if they do the uh, the the calipers, the the body fat testing. Remember, all through the eighties, we had to do that. You had to line up, you know, every kid in the class, and you'd go through and you'd like lift up your shirt or you'd have your shirt off, yeah. and they do the boom, thing, boom. you know, like I, I mean, yeah. I always remember, you know, some kids that maybe weren't in the best shape. Like, oh man, is that like I don't know. I doubt they. I doubt they do that anymore. I'm thinking that's uh, oh, that absolutely. That's they too humiliating. Too. They must have done that on the Goldbergs. You know that show, the Goldbergs, where they have this family in Pennsylvania that's growing up in the 80s. Uh -huh. It's a it's a sitcom. And uh, it sounds like something that they would have done on that that TV show is to show the kids doing that with the with the fat caliper. Thing. Well, yeah, they used to have the presidential <laughs> fitness yep. test with the pegboards and like all this stuff. Oh, yeah. I still, I still have my stuff. Still have my certificate and my patch. See, it mattered. Yeah. Yeah, it mattered. We... It, my dad, when he was coaching and teaching, he had some third and fourth graders. He had a weightlifting club mm -hmm. that after 
after school, they would go and he would teach them full snatches and cleans and stuff like that. Little kids. Yeah. And um, we were in South Texas, probably 10 or 15 years ago hunting. And the guide, we were, I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And we're hanging out around the fire. And we're like, oh, he's like, oh, where are you from? And we live in South Carolina. He goes, oh, really? I am too. Turned out this is one of dad's like little guys no, okay. from like 30 something years Jeez. before. And he like started tearing up. He goes, I still have my awards that you gave me as in the weightlifting club. Yeah. It's like 45, 50 year old man sitting around a fire. And yeah. he's just like, you were the best teacher I ever had. But what it was, it was positive. It was capability. Yeah. It was, you know, pouring into those, to those people. And, and there was, I hate to say it this way. This is going to sound really insensitive. Right. Shame is a matter. Yeah. Like when, when you kind of talked about like, unfortunately, yeah, you pull up your shirt. Maybe you didn't look like, it's like, okay, I remember being bad at stuff yeah. when I was that age. It kind of makes you want to get better at it. You go home, you're like, hey, I, I can't throw a spiral very good. I'm going to go throw a spiral a bunch of times and, and you do it horribly. I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. Like be ashamed of what you're doing enough to freaking change. Yeah. And, but I think you'd get crucified if you said that. These guys, you might want to redact, <laughs> redact it, redact it. Oh man. And Highland games. Like, so how do you, one, how do you find out about the Highland games? Is that something that people talked about mm. in your circles? Is that something that you knew about? Right. Or is it something that like at the end of your college uh, career, you find yeah. out about, or when does, how long has it been going on? What's, what's, sure. how, how do you get into that? Sure. Oh, the Highland games were super fun. So being in the strength and the strength sports world, the iron game, as they call it, you just hear of these others, okay. whether they're strong man or whatever uh -huh. it is. And so I used to get a magazine called Milo magazine. Uh -huh. Strangely enough, I talked to Jocko about it and he literally, I was in Milo in 97 or 98. We were talking about this conversation and he, and he goes, Oh yeah, I've, I have every article no of, way. Of, of that. And I go, actually, I was, I, when I was still in college, <clears throat> They had a picture of me in the magazine. I was cleaning body weight with one hand on a barbell. And he goes, I remember that picture. No, it pissed didn't. me off. He, about 20 minutes later, sends me a picture of me. He goes, I told you I still have it. No I'm like, way. you still have the original. He goes, it made me so mad that there was some kid somewhere that could do Fantastic. that. And I was just like, that's hilarious. But anyway, we would watch, we would look at these magazines and they'd have all these, you know, strength sports piling games uh -huh. in one of them. You know, you're wearing a kilt, you're doing, you lifting and throwing these trees and rocks and all this heavy crap. And they call it the heavy events. Now it was made, this is awesome from a patriotism standpoint. It was, the events were made by the Scottish people because the British took away any way for them to militaristically train. Remember the rocks. So right. Mm -hmm. You got it. So they would take their weights that they would use on their scales and for in the agricultural society for, for using their scales and they would learn to throw them because that would keep them strong and capable. And then we're not doing military training. Mm. And then we would take these hammers that they would use to pound out everything and they would throw them over their head. They would throw rocks and, and, and you know, the story about like a, a was it a Karn or a Karen, they call it yeah. uh, with the pile of rocks, uh -huh. how that works in a, in a the community. Uh, no, remind me. I mean, I, I know the, what that okay, is. So but. This is what I thought was, was beautiful. So, they each family would have a rock and that would like from, from Braveheart Remember, they oh, would, yeah. they would literally have that rock is in their garden or their hearth or whatever. <clears throat> and then it get it, at, at gatherings and get togethers, all the men would go out in the yard and they would throw like a shot put. And uh, they call it the clacknart, which is the stone of strength. Mm. And basically whoever throws the stone, the furthest was kind of known as like the guy mm -hmm. in, in the family. That was like the patriarch. And that would kind of be the handing over of the torch when you could throw further than your dad, yeah. like, 
all right, I got it. We don't have to fight. I know you're man enough yeah. at this point. So they would t- when they would go off to battle, each family or each man would take a stone and they'd put, as they walked out of their town, they would put it in a pile, their stone in a pile. <clears throat> when they returned back from battle, they'd pick up their stone and take it home. The ones who died, stones always stayed there in a pile. Wow. And so they literally laid the stone of their own memorial wow. for that town. And the towns would leave it there. And that was their, there was their memorial and their reminder of, this is how many we lost at this one. Wow. And they put their stones there. Like, it still like tears me up. Yeah. Like, how beautiful of a tribute is that? Like, you walk off going, I'm laying my stone. I hope I could come back and pick it up. Yeah. And if not, I am laying my memorial here. So if you go yeah. through those old towns in Scotland, yeah. you'll see these, these piles of stones. And you're like, Phew, they got decimated. Wow. Those guys got decimated. Like, it was just such a powerful thing, wow. you know? So that's one of the events is the clock. The stone strength. So there was so much history and it, it was such that heroic yeah. tale. And so I'm coming off a thrower's background going, Hey, I probably could be pretty good at yeah. this. I know how to throw stuff. And you, you know, there, there's the tartans, you know, that are <clears throat> your own pattern for your family mm-hmm. tree. And, and I believe it was Eric, the red created the tartan system when he started the, the Viking, mm-hmm. when he would travel to those islands. <clears throat> so he got all the different families wearing these different patterns so he could see who was friendly and who was foe. <clears throat> So everyone wears their own tartans, which is really cool. You go to a Highland game. I was in the Arthur clan, which was actually cool because King Arthur mm-hmm. was in my family, bloodline. Wow. So when I would walk around like other Arthurs from anywhere in the world, they knew I was one of their people. So they invite you over to their tent, give you some, some booze and give you some food. I was competing. They'd come out and watch you. And like, it was really a neat family tribe type thing. I've never met these people in my life. And they're, Hey, you know, if I'd win, they'd take pictures with me. These are my people, you know? Wow. So that was just a cool thing because I was taking a skill set that I knew and then was able to take it to a totally different place. So yeah, we would throw cabers, which is a tree and stones, hammers, weights. And it was done in this big festival type situation. <clears throat> and it was kind of funny. So I had, my first competition I ever competed in was actually Saturday. I'll get the date wrong. Probably September 15th, 2001. Whoa. So if you do the math, I think it was Wednesday, was it on September 11th? Tuesday, yeah. Tuesday, was it? Okay, so there was the Saturday. So the Charleston Highland Games that weekend was the first athletic competition done in the United States after September 11th, which happened to be my first competition. Wow. So I went down there, and I I remember I had an American flag stuck on on my, my belt. And I went down there. I remember it was just so somber, like, you know, I'd already signed up for the games. I didn't know if they were going to do it after that. And I was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down there. And like, this is in there playing amazing grace. And like, you're just like, you know, this wow. is a thing, you know, we're, we're doing this. So I, I competed off and on. I do like usually the Charleston game, like once a year yeah. in September, I didn't train for it or anything. So fast forward 2006, five, six, seven, somewhere in there. I went to a game. And I think I won at like seven events. It's like a decathlon type scoring. Okay. So you have seven events overall as the champion. <clears throat> and I think I got like three firsts, three seconds, and like an eighth mm. or something. And just one event I was terrible at. And I got second overall. And I kept getting second overall at all these events. And I wasn't really training, but I was like, oh, this is cool. And of course, I'd win the hammer and I might win the stone because those are things I'd already done. <clears throat> 
And I was walking off the field and I talked to this gentleman, the athletic director. I said, gosh, I really appreciate you having me today. He goes, I said, my name is Bert Soren. He goes, oh, you're Bert. And I went, well, yeah. And he goes, you're the one they said that would be good if you try. Dang. I'm like, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) And they go, yeah, they said you were like some Olympic hammer thrower, but you don't train. But if you did, you'd be pretty awesome. And I, and all I could hear was you'd be good if you would try. And I just pissed me off so bad. Not that they would say it, but they were right. And I was like, so my name, you recognize my name and my last name as someone who doesn't try knowing I came off of college that three years in a row, I got most improved in coaches work because I tried harder than everyone. Mm. So that was my identity in my head. And I had to come to the realization was their identity for me was very accurate mm. and it was very different than what I wanted it to be because they were right. I was pretty good at some things. And so I wouldn't try. I would just, I'd, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll practice this week and I'll go in a game. <clears throat> so I said, okay. I said, uh, what's the, what's the biggest thing that I could do in this, this, in this amateur rank? So I go, well, we have this North South you know, invite this year, North States versus the South States, blah, blah, blah. I go, how do I do that? They go, well, you got to be one of the best in this and you'll get invited. I said, okay, what next? And they go USA versus Scotland next year. I go, okay, then what? And they go, well, after that, you kind of probably go pro if you're really good. I go, okay, cool. And so I went home and I looked up this thing called NASGA web. It was North American Scottish games association, their website with their databases. <clears throat> oh man. It's, it's, and I would pull up every event. And I would say, okay, hammer. And I'd find where I was on the ranking. Mm-hmm. And I'd go, oh, I'm, I'm eighth. And I'd go, okay, I want to be top three. And I'd write down the distance that would take. And then I, would, I just went through everyone. I'd find whatever one I sucked at the most. And I would go to practice and I'd put out a towel at that distance. And I would throw my balls off until I could just pepper that towel. And I'd go to meet the next week and I'd PR. And, I'd, and I, so in eight weeks, I went from 54th in the nation to second. Nice. And, and it was just like, but I needed to hear that. Oh, you'd be good if you'd try. And I was like, you know, so that year I ended up making the North South. The next year I was team captain for the U S team. We went over there and won in Scotland. The next, what's it like to win in Scotland? Oh, it was awesome. (laughs) So, Oh, it was crazy. So I threw a hammer. So I think it was the Edinburgh games, I believe it was. And Dow went writer in Dow Scotland. And they oh, were throwing Scott. a hammer. They, oh, it's amazing. So they were, <clears throat> they had never uh, stopped, even during World War II, they never stopped that game. Nice. Cause they did stop the and Olympics so, if I, if uh, memory serves. Yes. <clears throat> and they haven't stopped the Pleasanton Highland games went 150 something years. The only year they ever stopped it was for COVID, which super sucks. But anyway, so they had a hammer that we were throwing with the rattan handle. <clears throat> And I was like, man, this thing is awesome. They go, yes, the same handle has been on that hammer since 1932. Dang, that's pretty cool. And I'm like, the DNA that's in that yeah. handle from the greatest Highland gamers ever in Scotland cool. is all in this handle. Yeah. And I was able to break the field record. So that's it was crazy. like, it was awesome, like a surreal moment man. in this awesome place. And that was, but it all came back to hard work and then just deciding like, okay. And I would just pick it off. Yeah. It was like, okay, I'm this I got to be here. And so that became super fun because then it was, it felt like a hunt yeah. again. It was like, this is my goal. This is what I'm going after. It's very quantifiable. Right. And then that kind of took over my life there for a while. Um, and then I was able to, uh, 
when amateur work, the first amateur worlds, and then went on to be a pro. And then I competed around for a while Dang. and then, uh, was able to make a living, the fun, oh, not to make a living, but the funny part was I made more money in the first day of Scottish Highland games. I made my entire track and field career. Why? Cause you're sponsored <laughs> so, by some companies or something? No, no. They just, they paid cash. Oh, it was great. Went, oh, so like, okay. it was fantastic. So when you're a pro, like you go and, you know, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, but some days you walk away with 2,500 cash, which for me, I was like, you know, I'm 28, 30 years old. And my goal, it's funny. I thought I had the world by the ass. I said, if I can make my one hobby of Highland games pay for my other hobby of hunting, (laughs) I will have one at life. Yes. I love it. (laughs) And so I would take all my winnings every year and that would either buy a new bow, rifle, scope pay for my dear leases. Nice. Like, and I thought like you got it, at 30, you could, you couldn't tell me nothing, uh, man. I wasn't making a lot of money, but man, I was making enough where I always had some arrows and some broadheads and I was making some cash. It was, it was a good life at that time. Nice, <laughs> was, nice. So that was my Highland games, man. And then yeah. is it like after that, we really start to build Sornex into what it is today. Yeah. Because I mean, now so it's, I mean, it it's building so it. recognizable, uh, you know, it's uh, everywhere, um, you know, seeing the background of photos and all these collegiate gyms and background per, of every, everywhere. background of, of number one, uh, Amazon shows. And- <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, I mean, you did, did, uh, Joe Rogan stuff. You have Jocko stuff. Yeah. Uh, my stuff's in a pile outside and we're going to get, once we build that <laughs> barn, I want you to come out and we'll have a, you know, we'll, we'll go on a hunt and we'll, oh. we'll hang out and whatever, but I want to put your, your eye towards the space and be like, all right, yeah. Let's get it figured do, out, you know. Uh, yeah. In the meantime, it's just going to look like that, uh, you know, the Sornex outdoors, the uh, uh, Logan Hanks's uh, outside area for a little bit here. But uh, even with that, yeah. though, if you're, it, gosh, I don't know if it'll work out to drop by during during tack, but uh, just to see what you think, like, oh no, you know, what you should do oh, is move it. this over here, do that, or we you know, add this, bit. and then you'll be set, or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I just need to get yeah, moving. yeah, no, I just I'd need to get to. moving, you know. Yeah, well, just first <laughs> open the boxes. Yes, yeah, that's first step. I would open those boxes. It'd be embarrassing if you show up and they're still not open. My list of things to do today. Um, I'm excited about it too. Um, I'm super excited. Oh, to check it's it gonna all be out. awesome. Yeah, yeah, man. You start to build it, uh, then you kind of start. To, is that where things like? Kind well, of- actually, that's a good question. Yeah. So that's I got hurt uh, my second or third year as a pro. I tweaked my knee. It was like one of those weird injuries. I subluxed my patella, and it just it just never seemed to get better. And then I smoked my ankle really bad. And I actually got a blood clot in my leg because my ankle was swelling so much and I competed at the world championships and I didn't, I did basically, I didn't care that I thought I'd hurt my hamstring, mm. not even realizing that I had a throbbing blood clot in my oh, leg. Geez. And so I flew to, flew to, uh, San Diego, San Francisco competed, got silver and I was pissed and I knew I could have done better. And I pull off my knee sleeve and one of my, uh, fellow throwers go, dude, what's wrong with your leg? Like, I just pulled my hamstring and it's like swelling. He goes, uh, your legs twice the size it should be. You got like compartment syndrome or something like that. No, I don't. I'll be fine. And he's like, what did you, I guess, well, I, I tore up my ankle about eight, nine weeks ago. It's better. I'm fine now. He goes, uh, you, you really need to get looked at. So like a dumb, dumb, I flew back across oh, the geez. country. Yeah. So I get in the next day. I call him when my buddy's a trainer, he gets me in, he goes, he goes, yeah, you have a big DVT. So he goes, we'll call you back. Um, so I went in a little bit later that day. And since that morning, it had moved up where I had from my hip all the way to my knee was a solid DVT. Oh. So I, and I was sitting in my office and I told the dude that was working with me, I go, it feels like a worm is in my leg, like crawling around. Yes. And I think it was that blood clot sliding up. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. 
So, yeah. So immediately we went in, had to do this, all this, whatever. I remember I had to give myself shots of some blood thinner. And and I remember, well, again, just how nuts I was at the time. I had just pulled an alligator tag for the first alligator hunt in South Carolina. So I asked the lady, I was like, is there anything I don't need to do? She goes, don't go do anything that you could get cut because you could bleed out. I go, how about alligator hunting? And she was like, ah, I go. Oh, really? Yeah, no, seriously. How about alligator hunting? Because I just pulled a tag and I'm not going to not go. And she was like, you can't do that. I was like, mm. anyway. So I remember being in the swamp, giving myself shots in the stomach, oh. which was, again, very dumb. But we killed a giant alligator, wow. um, which was super fun. Um, <laughs> so that happened. And I remember and as I sobered up from the whole experience, I go, hold on a minute. I was willing to just possibly die because yeah. I was so focused on trying to win right. and trying to like do that side of my life. And I realized, I think at the time I was 30, 31, 32, maybe and I go, I've competed for almost 20 years. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. My business is good, but not great. I can't throw for the rest of my life. I'm obviously making some poor decisions if I'm willing to not worry about a DVT or an injury or whatever, just because I want to compete so badly. So I said, I'm going to push the timeout button on my decision-making. Like Bert doesn't get to make big boy decisions right now. Cause I'm definitely off. Yeah. And so I'd walked away from the sport. I said, like, I'm, I'm, I'm done for a while until I could start making more mature long-term decisions. And when I did, I, you know, I soon thereafter met my, who became my wife and, you know, I said, gosh, like if I die, if I would have died from that, cause mm -hmm. I actually, I went to a Christmas party that night or a couple that year. And the doctor who I met with is a friend of mine. He was there and he had a couple of drinks in him. He said, Bert, he goes, you or one of your descendants are going to do something amazing for this world. I go, why you say that doc? He goes, you know where that blood clot should have been, dude. And he taps me on the chest. He goes right there. He goes, you massaged it. You iced it, you heated it, you hiked it, you flew it, you competed in it for months. He goes, if you were trying to commit suicide by blood clot, you were going for it. Wow. Yeah. He goes, you shouldn't be here, man. He goes, so God's not done with you. Hmm. So think, realize that something you're supposed to do something amazing. Oh. And I went, well, me throwing a ball real far probably isn't the thing. Like making a steel ball landing far <laughs> as from cool my as feet. it is, yeah. as cool as it is, probably it landing further from my feet than it does from yours probably isn't yeah. my thing that I'm going to leave this world with. So I was like, all right, time to be a grown up. Had an awesome girl that I was dating, realized she, she needed to be my wife, realized if I was going to have some kids and leave something actually meaningful behind this and behind that, I need to go ahead and get on that realizing that if I was going to have a business that could have, could be what I think it could mm. be time to probably get on that. And, um, that changed, that changed everything. So that was when things started, started trending up. And about a year later, there were seven of us here at Sornex and, uh, I brought everyone around. I was like, all right, guys, I think we were like 31, 32, maybe 33 at the time. I was like, all right, guys, here's the thing I've been thinking. Um, we do some amazing things here, but we're not where we want to be as a company. I was like, let's put in a ridiculous amount of time and effort over the next few years and really make a run at this. Mm -hmm. 
let's burn the ships behind us. Let's go after what we, what we know we could do and be where we're going, be where let's do it while we're young enough. If it doesn't work, we could go get real jobs <laughs> because I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. think of having to like figure this out at 45, that yeah. I should have made a run at it when I was 32. Right. <clears throat> and I said, we're in three years, we're going to be closer to where we want to want to be, or we're going to run the son of a bitch into the ground in two. Nice. I was like, but at least we'll know. We'll know. Mm-hmm. We'll know what we're supposed to go do. And we'll know we put a, put a good shot at mm-hmm. it. And I was like, if you want to leave now, now's the time to leave. Otherwise, kind of like you're signing on for pretty hard for a few years. And all seven people are like, let's do it. Amazing. And that that's when it started changing. And it didn't happen overnight by any means, but it was like, you know, three or four years, five years into it, you're like, you know, you're like, hey, this is pretty cool. Like we're in 95% of the NFL. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, I think we had, I think it was something crazy. It was like in a week, we got a call from from the Patriots. Joe Rogan and Kevin Bacon. Nice. Hey, I go, Kevin's hitting it hard, huh? Yeah. And it was just getting after it. That's awesome. His people. And then there was another guy, uh, who's, (laughs) I won't, I won't name, but he was at that time. He was the richest person on the planet, like all within a week. And I'm like, okay. So literally the highest performers in the military, the athletics, the, the influencer world, the highly, like literally the highest performers. And I was like, guys, let's not let this moment pass without kind of realizing like at this point, we're legitimately the choice. We are the go-to guys for the go-to guys on this. Like let's not pat ourselves on the back too long. Capitalize on that momentum. Yeah. Capitalize on momentum, but also go, this is cool. Yeah. This is all right. Like, because you go for so long, Without just like keep head down, yeah. we call it head down welding. Just keep welding, just go. It's like, hold on, man. Like if we don't get to smile at each other every once in a while, and go, good job, guys. Like so awesome. Kind of the point. Ah. So it was it was a neat experience, man. and it was just like, huh. <laughs> That's cool, man. Cool. I love what you're cool. doing. I love it. And so before <laughs> I let you go, I want to ask you about Winter Strong, Summer Strong, how yeah. those came about. I mean, they look, they look so cool. Uh, people can follow yeah, your Instagram and see that. Not. The Sornex one, <laughs> Sornex Outdoors. I think there's probably a couple others. Um, but uh, yeah. it looks like so much fun out there. And you guys are bringing great oh, people it's together. Ball. We got to get you out sometime. I'd love to. I know you're yeah. ridiculously busy. <laughs> it's a little uh, busy right now. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Yeah, next May, I'd, I'd still love to have you speak at Summer Strong oh. sometime. I'd be honored, but I know, you know, you got to get your 17 books That's out. That's crazy. But I'll, 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 I'll buy every one oh, of them. You're so awesome. Like well, I do. I, I, I get, uh, they're, they're, there's like candy day oh, when they man, come out. thank you. Um, so Summer Strong. So 15 years ago. Oh, it's been going on for 15 um, years. 15 oh, years, wow. yeah. It's weird, right? Amazing. <laughs> Um, so my dad's birthday and it was, it was June 26. And so like a week before I was like, Hey pops, what do you want to do for your birthday? He goes, I don't know, man, let's just invite some strong people from the community over. Let's grab a keg. Let's cook out. Let's lift weights and just hang out. It's just like open gym. So, okay, cool. I put it out. Like, um, it's kind of before social media. I don't remember how we got it out message board yeah. maybe. And, uh, 38 people from five States showed nice. up and we're like, Hey, this is yeah. cool. So we cooked out and we just had fun. And, and what I found happened 
the first within the first hour, someone who was really good at sandbags, and that's where like when sandbag training yeah. started, they just started coaching sandbag. They they just started doing it. People, are like, hey, what's that? So they started doing. It. Well, then a little while later, some Olympic weightlifters started training, and then so the sandbag guy and the powerlifter started listening to the Olympic weightlifter, and he would coach just. Yeah. I kind of remember like in the eighties, like the break dancers would get in the middle and they would do their thing. <laughs> yeah. And, the next breaking. Guy, and it kind of, it kept breaking, breaking to electric boogaloo. <laughs> and it just started happening that way where about every hour, hour and a half, another expert from their field would start giving away free information, wow. but everyone would join in. And so I sat back and I watched, I go, it's interesting because if you get a bunch of power lifters together, there's a ranking system. Mm. So people, don't want to give information and not just powerlifters. It's just any group that's you know homogenous. So they all kind of rank up and like, Hey, there's a pecking order. Mm-hmm. But if there's something that you're not into, you just want to learn. So what I saw with that first year, I go, gosh, if you bring the same type of person, but from dissimilar backgrounds, the pissing contest kind of ends. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we watched it. I go, man, it's just like getting all these disciplines. You put them in a room and you just shake the room and you just, back up and go, Hey, what's going to happen? And I started to realize, wow, if you really pull from different disciplines, specifically military and college and all these that have no experience, the same, everyone's very open with their information mm. and they're very supportive. And there's never this like pecking order establishing piss and contest. Cause it's like, Hey, cool, dude, you did these things that we hear about on the news happen and you won an Olympic gold. Cool. They're both awesome. Mm. And you guys could share information. And then you, we all started realizing, wow, the mindset was very same, similar. Yeah. The preparation was similar. Although the, the two manifestations looked extremely different, there was a lot of similarities. Yeah. And there was healing because you have a guy, hey, I just got out of the Navy. This guy is saying, you know, I won a 2004 Olympic silver medal that was that was turned into an Olympic gold medal eight years later after the first guy got popped for drugs. And I never got my day in the sun. Mm. I never got my medal ceremony. I got my medal ceremony was in the food court in the Atlanta airport Mm. and he's still hurting and he's still going like, I I, I trained my whole life for that moment and I got it stolen from Mm. him. And then this guy's maybe has a experience with his military Mm. career. And then they're over in the corner talking like, Hey man, how are you getting through this? And so you're starting to see this just gelling of these different worlds coming together. That was like Summer Strong 7. And then we just kind of realized the what works is getting dissimilar people. And then it's the Neil Kami Murrahs, the knife makers. Yeah. Start pulling all these different people and kind of the weirder, the better in a way, as long as they're all high-end yeah. top performers. Right. And then so you could just get a really vast dichotomy of, of different mindsets, but you realize that the, the heart of it's all the same. So that became summer. Strong. Yeah. And, uh, it's awesome. It's my, my favorite week in the oh, year. Too cool. And then you had a winter strong. Yep. So then about uh, after summer strong 10 or 11, some of my close friends are always at summer strong. They go, gosh, it's, it, I get so charged up from it. We got to do it again. We need to do a winter strong and just like, we just need to rinse, repeat and do it again. And I was kind of laughing. I was like, hey, we can't just do the same thing. Yeah. And that was when I was really starting to pl- get to hunt more and everything. I was like, all right, I'm going to flip the script on everybody. Like, we're going to do it at my farm. It's going to be an immersion event. It's going to be camping. It's going to be competition. We're going we're gonna to meld the world of the human performance and the outdoors world, which I kind of laugh. I said, besides family members, the only 
two groups of people on my phone or those yeah. two groups, but I have the, the top performers in the world and both of them. I said, well, y'all just need to know <laughs> each other. Yeah. So I'm going to invite you all to my farm and we're going to camp out and we're going to have these different, these different companies out there that have these, these amazing performers. And we're going to create this awesome experience. And the first year, I think it was like 30 or 40 people. We had an awesome experience. And then uh, this past year it was invite only. Cause I know what I have to yeah. make sure that's the people right. I know, cause you have guns and camping and the whole deal. Um, but it just has grown into this, this beautiful thing. And, and, um, you know, and there's been some other events that, you know, have kind of spun off of that with some different companies using, you know, which is awesome. And we're super support that. And, you know, I know we didn't come up with the concept, but it was pretty rare at the time when we did it. And, um, so it's just an immersion event of, of mixing kind of my two passions, yeah. like really Sornex has always just been a manifestation of basically what me and my dad are into. Oh, you know? So cool. Um, so that's that. So you got to come out. I know. I'd love it. I'd love to come out for both. Um, that'd be yeah. super fun. And then hopefully I'll get to see you next week. I'll stay in touch by text and, that'd be great. uh, you know, figure out yeah. if there's a way to zip over. Are you going to be on the mountain no. at all to, uh, to no, shoot or yeah, no now, that you're, now that you're so famous, you got to like, <laughs> well, not even you have a gonzo nose <laughs> and a sombrero or something. It's like, crazy. You know, I mean, I was just, uh, in, uh, blowing rock, you know, after we finished up at Winkler's this last well, a couple of days ago. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, two different groups of people recognize me just on the street and got pictures and people in like the restaurants there in Blowing Rock, which is beautiful. I didn't want to talk too much about it because it's such a mm. great spot. Um, we'll blow up but spot. yeah, exactly. I think it's already kind of, well, but it's, uh, it's yeah, so yeah. beautiful and it's just amazing, but yeah, pictures and the whole thing, but it's, it's happening more and more, but, uh, but really, I mean, I would be on the mountain if I didn't, if my book was already done, but, uh, once again, priorities sure. got to, uh, got to prioritize getting that thing and it has to be the best it can possibly be because people are trusting me with their time when they buy that thing or listen to, you know, listen to it or pick it up to read it. And it's, uh, it's got to have all of me in it. So, yeah. uh, that takes the, takes the priority. It does. It does. The first five have Thank definitely, you. uh, set that stage. Yeah, so the it. sixth, uh, yeah, that, it, they always terrify me, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. Well, this next one um, is, might be the scariest yet. So, um, what? yeah, so I thought the bioweapons one, if- uh, number four in the devil's hand was, and then started doing that research uh-huh. into artificial intelligence and, uh, uh, and quantum computing for this last one for the, for in the blood. And now the, what I'm researching for this next one here, um, it's even scarier than those two things combined. So Ow. yeah, Ow. Well, you'll see, you'll uh, see, you'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. No, it was, I think probably from the devil's hand, the, the, the bio mm-hmm. stuff, probably the most terrifying part of it was not only what the the bioweapons were, but just how it could be pinned or Mm -hmm. misconstrued to come from different sources and the reasoning behind that. And I'll leave that there. But it was like, it it actually kind of depressed me for a couple of days. So I was like, oh man. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Stock up, stock up (laughs) on more, uh, more canned goods and uh, more ammunition. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you, you're doing oh, an amazing man, job you. and and it's, um, it's great. I, I think, I think people need to, uh, yeah, I just, they need to read well, books. I appreciate and, that. And, and I sincerely yeah. appreciate all your support and, uh, the example that you set out there. Um, I mean, cause anyone from any industry can look at what you've built and what you continue to build, uh, and that example and how you, not just professionally, but how you live your life as well. So, um, so thank you for, for all of that with all these, those negative influences that we talked about earlier, it's important 
yeah, on social channels, uh, who you follow. I mean, that's an input, and yeah. uh, and your your positive influence on those around you. Uh, you, uh, it's uh, it's something that we all can uh, aspire to do better, and uh, and you're leading the way. So, thank you so much thank for so uh, much. for that, and hopefully, we'll get you get you out here, and uh, I want you to take a yep. look at the new place and see if see what tweaks uh, you have on the the new setup because I do need to. Uh, we talked about those priorities that I had for the last few years. Um, I think yeah. I pushed it about as far as uh, as I can. <laughs> And uh, might need to get a little more sleep and eat a little better. Eat some besides Fruit Loops and Dr. Peppers. I'm writing, and uh, <laughs> and maybe throw the weights around again. So those things need to get back on the list this year. This is my year to get uh, to get organized, and um, and I'm, I'm, I already made great strides in that uh, uh, as far as that goes thus far. But by the end of the year, now I'll yeah. be uh, have a better foundation from which to, to move forward as far as being uh, effective and efficient with uh, with my time and resources. Be- so. That'd be great. And if we could help out with any kind of programming oh, and stuff you. too, because that's one of the things we're doing now uh, is coming with Sornex Outdoors. Nice. It's going to be some awesome, some interesting programming that's a little different than most people have seen. Awesome. So I love it. Love to send you some of that. I over. love it. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, thank you for everything. Yep. And hopefully I'll see you next week. Yeah, brother. We'll stay in touch by yep. uh, by text. And uh, yes, man, thanks for, uh, thanks for spending this time today. It was a pleasure, oh, man. Thank you so much for having Absolutely. me on. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Navy Federal Credit Union. I have been a member since 1996. There's my original card right there. I got that at Damneck, Virginia, when I was at Intelligence Specialist A School at the Navy and Marine Corps Intelligence Training Center uh, on Damneck, Virginia, right before I went to BUDS. So it was boot camp, ISA school, BUDS, and then off to the races in the SEAL team. But the entire time, to include through today, I have been a member of Navy Federal Credit Union. And now they're sponsoring this podcast, which is amazing. Crazy how things come full circle like that. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union lets you experience more from everyday commutes to your next big vacation. The flagship credit card earns you three times the points on travel so you can get rewarded for wherever you're headed next. Plus this premium travel card has a low annual fee of $49 and two times the points on all purchases outside of travel which means the rewards don't have to end even when the vacation does. Speaking of rewards, you can get a Navy Federal Auto Loan and reward yourself with a new car. Applying is easy. You can do it on their mobile app, online, or by phone. And it's so fast, you can get a decision in seconds. Navy Federal Credit Union has great rates on auto loans. With their car buying service powered by True Car, you can shop, compare, and get upfront pricing on your next new or used car. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Nice. I like that. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, open to the armed forces, the DOD veterans, and their families. Flagship rates are variable and range between 10.74% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply. That's NavyFederal.org. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one in the Amazon series adaptation of the Terminal 
list. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash danger close and use code dangerclose 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee. Keep crushing. Today's gear segment is sponsored by Zero Foxtrot. Zero Foxtrot provides unique products that reflect the old school vintage military lifestyle. I've actually been following these guys for a while. Love what they're doing. Have a bunch of other shirts and coffee mugs downstairs from from the last few years. Just love it when guys get out and absolutely crush it. Zero Foxtrot is veteran founded and is a proud supporter of our nation's defenders, veterans, and first responders. I'm actually wearing this shirt. Look at that. Canoe Club USA. What does that mean? I think you're going to have to look it up in your web browser, the Google machine. Canoe Club USA, awesome shirts out there. They have limited edition ones that drop every now and again that are super cool. So definitely go to zerofoxtrot.com. And right now, we have an exclusive code for listeners of Danger Close. Use code JC at checkout for 20% off your order. Very cool. Remember, you can gear up with Zero Foxtrot and use code JC at checkout for 20% off your order. Just go to zerofoxtrot.com slash JC. And remember to use code JC for 20% off at checkout or just click the link in the description. Once again, that offer code is JC. Gear up with Zero Foxtrot and use code JC for 20% off. Awesome. Definitely do that and check out all they have going on. Follow them on the social channels. They have some great things out there. They do some history posts every now and again that are really cool and very well thought out. Definitely check out zerofoxtrot.com for all the stuff. They have Zippo lighters in there. They have these mugs right here. What does that say? Drink coffee, stack bodies, stay zero. Love this. And then this one right here, this is cool. This might be a limited edition one, I'm not sure. Um, But for St. Patrick's Day, Lack fear, not beer. Look at that. Boom. Love it. Awesome. So that's what they look like right there. Zero Foxtrot. Get a little of that action right there. That's a sticker. But uh, check out their t-shirts, mugs right here. Whiskey glasses. These are some of my favorites right there. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Solid. So check them out for sure. Zerofoxtrot.com slash JC for 20% off. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. All right. Since I just had Bert Soren on of Sorenex, of course, uh, I went downstairs, opened up some boxes and the center mass bell. This one is uh, yeah, center mass bell. And this one's just 35 pounds right here. Got a 50 down there as well. But this thing, pretty sweet. I think it's time for me to get back in shape. But uh, once again, that is S-O-R-I-N-E-X dot com. So awesome, Bert. Thank you, my friend. All right, what else do we have here? The Terminalist hardcover edition with Chris Pratt on it has a new forward in the front here where I talk about how the series came to be and then a bunch of exclusive photos in here as well. So that is out and available now. And Black Raffle Coffee Company, what have we here? Let's see. Exclusive coffee subscription club here. Ooh, look at that. I love this because it tells you how to make it different ways with uh, with the Chemex, different press, cold brew right there. And you get your sticker right there as well. And, ooh, look at that guy. Interesting. Check that out right there. Yep. So check out Black Raffle Coffee. 
Com. See what they have going on over there. You might recognize Chris Pratt wearing the hat and the shirt in a few different episodes of the series on Amazon Prime. And what have we here? Sitka. You might also recognize Chris Pratt wearing Sitka in episode, beginning of episode four, and then a t-shirt that says Sitka on it in episode two. So um, I've been with Sitka from the beginning just as a somebody that likes to check out new gear coming on the market and uh, love all the stuff that they do. And what's in here? This packaging. Even back then, even in the beginning, I always recognized how cool their packaging was. So look at that. The new jet, the redesigned Jetstream jacket, which I believe is one of their um, most popular jackets. Look at this. Bam. 100% windproof Gore Windstopper technology. Man, that is cool. Updated fit. I like that. Nice work, guys. And here it is. Cool. Awesome. Sitka gear. And I love what they're doing over there. All right. That is it for today. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Find out more about Bert Soren at Sorinex, and that is S-O-R-I-N-E-X.com. Also go to Bert Soren on Instagram, follow him there. And you can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels, officialjackcar.com. That's the website. You can click shop to go to the merch from there. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to leave five-star rating and reviews wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until the next time, take care, stay safe, be strong, keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What box do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy and, or right, right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm-hmm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.